Friday, December 7th, 2018, and you are tuned into Season 2, Episode 48 of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, powered by the Roar Network at thegorillaposition.com. Presented by Hameen Media. And now in association with Last Word on ProWrestling.com. On this week's show, Rick and I are talking red, blue, yellow, New Japan, and the ladies take center stage. But before we dive in, it's my obligation to remind you this is a podcast by the fans for the fans, bringing you all the news that is news from across the professional wrestling world. You can find the show on Twitter at HTMPWPod, on Facebook at Hitting the Marks, email us at hittingthemarks at gmail.com, and now find us streaming live on occasion at twitch.tv backslash Hitting the marks. My name is Jargo. I'll be your host for the day, but give it up for my tag team partner, the dynamite to my tiger, RBB. Rick, welcome back to your show. It's me. It's me. It's that order the beat of the Rick Vickery back again. The Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast. Jargo, I'm excited for this one. I think it's going to be probably our best show to date. I know it's going to be our biggest. We've got two epic interviews scheduled for this show and, and that's just getting that's just getting this week going friday to friday we've got a, a lot in store we've got big interviews we got big plans and we're going to be celebrating all things ring of honor as we lead into a uh, final battle yes looking forward to final battle we have a interview with miss kelly klein coming up that you will hear rick and i on and rick you actually had a big interview doing a, a huge interview solo style this week yeah unfortunately uh you were unable to be there taking care of uh, personal affairs. So I was I had to fly solo on that one. I think the first time I, I've flown solo on one, uh, first or second. Uh, but what a what a great interview. 
What a great personality. Someone with such a bright future and tremendous passion for professional wrestling. Uh, and that is Casey Lennox from Major League Wrestling. Uh, I mean, she, she's, got, she's got her eyes set on the prize. And our listeners, you know, they're going to get to hear all about that on this episode. So we, we, we've got those two big lady interviews coming up. Of course, we're going to talk about Rousey and we're going to talk about Becky and we're going to talk about Rick's precious Shar Shar. We're going to talk about the Empress of tomorrow. But Rick, we, we have to start off with some sad news today. Um, we, we found out uh, yesterday, I guess it was, as we are recording this, of the passing of the Dynamite Kid, December 5th, 60 years from the day that he was born. Um, I went back last night and I was watching some old Dynamite Kid matches. I saw that you were doing the same this morning. Uh, both of us watching that classic match that he had with Tiger Mask, that entire series with the original Tiger Mask. Um, what were your thoughts on the Dynamite Kid and were you more of a Dynamite Kid guy or were you more of a British Bulldogs guy? Well, you know, when it comes to Dynamite Kid, yeah, he was so beloved by so many fans, uh, especially from our generation, you know, who grew up where the Bulldogs were such a staple of tremendous tag team wrestling. You know, the, uh, the vision of tag team wrestling that we long for today, because we remember back then, you know, those glory days. Uh, he was a tremendous trailblazer with his work inside the ring. You know, for me, I, I really wasn't a bulldog guy. I always took a little bit more to the Heart Foundation. Uh, I, I liked the Killer Bees back in his early days, and then that transition into Demolition. But you, you always had to love the gimmick, and especially you know when they had what was the what was the pup's name? Matilda. Matilda. You bet. Matilda. You. I see. It came to me there. It had Matilda. Such a tremendous gimmick, and they were so beloved. I just, you know, when you kind of reflect back and we see what he has gone through throughout his career and through his personal life, it's, it's kind of just, it's devastating or a bit of a travesty that you didn't see how bitter that he is towards, you know, just not the business, but life in general. Uh, but thankfully, thankfully, you know, he's no longer bitter. He's, he's at peace. Well, you know, I, I got to kind of thinking about it, and I was listening to uh, Bruce Mitchell, who we met up at StarCast. He was talking a bit about the history of the Dynamite Kid uh, on his show um, yesterday. And he was talking about, you know, yeah, he was bitter, but I think he had reason to be. Um, Dynamite, oh, oh, he, he, absolutely, he absolutely gave his body and his soul for this business, and when his time was done inside the ring. The business just kind of washed away the dynamite kid. I think when you look what, what, you know, where and what he was inside the business, he really represented that old school mentality. You know, we have listed here on the run, you know, a couple of the famous altercations that he was involved in. He was a hard nosed, hard to deal with individual, but you had to be that way to survive back then. Yeah. Especially, you know, an individual of, of his size, you know, amazing athletic caliber, but really lacked in the size of what a stereotypical, you know, you can't get through. You're not going to break through the ceiling here that and really what he was able to accomplish there inspired so many of, you know, your Guerreros, your Malenko's. Also, I, I, I usually refrain from using his name, but a Benoit, you know, that, it, that we're so linked between those two. Uh, you know, he had to, like you said, and he had to fight for everything he was given. Uh, even even kind of screwed over by his own partner over the trademark for the Bulldogs. Yeah, um, you know, where he you can see that there. But I'm I'm happy that yeah. you brought up Chris Benoit because I, I was watching some of those old Dynamite Kid matches from Japan. 
yesterday. And I think there, there's two very different Dynamite Kids. Uh, there, there's the Dynamite Kid that the American audience came to know as half of the Bulldogs. And then there's what he was doing as the solo star in Japan, especially against Tiger Mask. Um, and Dynamite Kid, he, he was really one of the first gaijin to really put junior heavyweight wrestling on the map. What, what dynamite kid and what tiger mask did inspired an entire generation. And I think tiger mask gets a lot of that credit and dynamite kid just kind of gets forgotten about, but I, I'm happy you brought up Chris Benoit because as I was watching dynamite kid last night, I could have sworn I was watching Chris Benoit. Chris Benoit just straight copied everything about dynamite. Well, you know, is your Benoit, you know, you're growing up watching him. He's so close to that situation. Yeah. And, and he is, he's, you can make those comparisons. It's he's sitting there watching dynamite, man. I know I can get out there and do that. He's my size. And that's, you know, what gave Benoit a great deal of drive to try to break through that ceiling. Can you watch Chris Benoit matches at this point? I'll be honest with you. I have zero interest in it. I know there are so many that are out there that are his true fans and and ask us to remove the personal life and appreciate the work inside the ring. I, for me personally, it's just something I cannot do. Yeah, I'm, I'm I, with you. This conversation here is about as far as much as I want to have with Chris with, with Chris Benoit. Uh, but you know, he is he is a part of history and it is unavoidable. Well, and and that was the reason I was actually asking because even just watching Dynamite. I felt like I was watching Benoit and it made me uncomfortable, you know? You know, this might not be a popular to say. You're exactly right. And it almost, maybe I have negative feelings towards Dynamite because of that connection. There's such be. that strong link between the two. That's true. Uh, in 1997, after having a great deal of complications, he was uh, experiencing with walking due to a large number of back and leg injuries suffered during his career. Billington lost use of his left leg. Uh, he had a paralyzed left leg and was confined to a wheelchair, and he was cared for by his second wife, Dot. Billington was told that he would never be able to walk again. Harley Race, the inventor of the diving headbutt, has stated that he regrets ever inventing the move because it appears to cause spinal problems as well as concussions. Uh, and again, this goes right back into the Benoit thing, you know, where, where you can't help but wonder how many of those diving headbutts kind of contributed to uh, the way things went down. You, uh, you had brought up uh, some of his previous altercations uh billington had uh, several violent interactions with fellow wrestlers one such event was with bruce hart and i think this is probably the the most well documented and probably the most famous story of the dynamite kid uh in which billington broke hart's jaw after hart stole his sky remote uh, another while with WWF where wrestler Jacques Rougeau felt that Billington had bullied him and punched Billington in the face, holding a, a, a rolled up fist full of quarters. And then we would see dynamite return back to Japan. Uh, it, it's a fascinating story. Um, I actually found out, uh, last night that, uh, he wrote a book and supposedly it's really, really good. I'm going to have to uh, look that up. Yeah. I'd say it, it especially, you know, the road he has traveled, it really, it is, you know, it's kind of a reminder, you know, of where this business was. And the harsh reality is it, it will use you, it would chew you up and spit you out and, and not even give you a second thought. 
Yeah, it's sad. Uh, very, but, very similar to like the movie The Wrestler. Yeah, very, very much so with Mickey Rourke. It's a great you know, the film. Industry, the industry was so against it because it, you know, it kind of showed that light, and he's kind of a reality of that. Yeah, very much so. Uh, we, we we brought up the Dynamite Kid and Tiger Mask match. If you have never seen that match, uh, go watch it because it you could put throw that into 2018 on 205 Live, and it would fit in today. It's absolutely incredible to watch that stuff. And then I, one of my personal favorite matches was the Saturday night's main event match, the the British Bulldogs and the Hart Foundation. I went back and I watched that one last night too, Huckleberry. Yeah, I actually had seen both of these just floating around on Facebook and made a point to stop and check them out. And you, you talk about taking a walk down memory lane, that match from uh, the Saturday night's main event. It said, you know, I was more of a Hart Foundation guy. I always just kind of took kind of took to, to Brett and the Anvil, but hey, classic teams of the time and it really just makes you long for great tag team wrestling to return uh, to WWE. We will talk about uh, some tag team wrestling and uh, Davey Boy Smith's son. Davey Boy Smith Jr. over in World Tag League, New Japan Pro Wrestling. God, it's crazy watching old school British Bulldog matches, man, and then watching Killer Elite Squad. It is crazy how much he looks like his dad. Well, I was going to say we were talking about you know, Benoit matches reminding me of Dynamite. You, you look at Junior, Davy Boy Junior, and it's just oh, like you just you just feel that you know his father is there, that he is carrying on that legacy, which is a tremendous thing. But I did you happen to see this one? Uh, this just broke a couple hours ago. Talking about legacies, uh, Larry the X Henning has just passed away as well. Oh my gosh, man! Yeah. Uh, I believe uh, I don't have it right here in front of me. I, I just know that news broke. I believe he was 83. Uh, you talk about the great legacy of the headings, uh, you know, obviously with oh. Mr. Perfect, his son and his grandson. Now Curtis Axel, uh, you know, who everyone, every way you, you just want to see more from him, but he does great things within WWE that, that go underappreciated in the grandson, uh, Curtis Axel, you know, such a great performer. Every time they give him something, he, he makes gold out of it. And, and such a, a talented hand in the ring, you know, names like the rock when they're coming back, that's who they want to train with. Cause they know they're going to be protected, taken care of and get ready for those big moments. Yeah. I, I feel like both Axel and Dallas, um, being the legacy stars that they are, um, they're going to be around for a long, long time. At least let's hope, uh, Rick, let's go ahead. Let's uh, talk about something that I would like to think is, a little bit better, but uh, it not necessarily. I'm talking this week in your WWE universe, um, Rick. This, I, I, I don't even know necessarily how I feel about this. Monday Night Raw starts off with a ten bell salute. Of course, we we started off the show with a ten bell salute, um, not only for Dynamite, but now also for Larry the Axe Henning, as as well as my grandfather. Um, but Monday Night Raw starts off with uh, a, a tribute to President 41, George H.W. Bush, and a 10-bell salute. Um, Rick, I got to admit, this thing kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Um, and, and it's nothing against the Bush family. It's, it's nothing against Herbert Walker Bush. Um, it, it's, I don't like non-wrestling people getting 10-bell salutes. Yeah, that's, that's where I was on it. And I know... There were some individuals out there that uh, took issue with, you know, the overall how, you know, how Bush is being presented now and maybe some of the choices he made uh, during his life. 
But we said here, you know, we don't want to get political about this thing. We want to keep it about the wrestling. And immediately when I saw this, you know, my first thought was it just felt really out of place. Yeah. Um, I, I guess my question is, if if Monday Night Raw would have been anywhere other than Houston, Texas, would this have happened? Yeah, and that was a big question there as well. And it, but you know what? And listening to uh, some some interesting stats that that I've discovered today, and I have to give all credit to where I got them from, and that's one Mr. Jim Ross. He shared these on his podcast. Uh, but President Bush does have a great link to professional wrestling. He was a he was a big fan of the genre, uh, actually so much. You know, he. Uh, let's see here what I've got. Oh, he, he was personal friends with longtime Houston promoter Paul Bosch. Yes. Uh, very, very good friends with a uh, big cat, Ernie Ladd. Yep. Uh, and even so far, there, like a little, little crazy fun fact, he was actually the Little League baseball coach of Wahoo McDaniel. Um, uh, uh, that's random and weird. Um, I, I, I know just that Jr. would be able to pull that out. You know, that's it's the wealth of knowledge he's got. I, I, I also do know that uh, in listening to Bruce Pritchard's show, um, the SmackDown after September 11th, there was actually conversations because they were in Houston that night as well, and uh, there were conversations about uh, George Herbert Walker Bush being in attendance for that show. It was later decided not to happen as he was located in a bunker for his own protection. But um, it, that that was a conversation that was had inside of the WWE. So let me ask you here, as you're saying, you know, just as in Houston, obviously uh, professional wrestling is, is no stranger to, you know, whatever it takes to get that cheap pop. Could this been something of, uh, or maybe it's a little column A, column B. I mean, was it straight to try to get that crowd behind them? Because I don't think it really did a lot for the viewers at home, but maybe to energize uh, the arena. Or maybe was it really a sign of appreciation for, you know, the link that he has. And he is a true fan of professional wrestling. And they know that they've had conversations with him. He's, he's had friends in the business. So maybe they thought, hey, you know what? We are here in Houston. Let's do something a little out of the ordinary and show that we appreciate it. You know, his his contributions to this country. Uh, the the one thing that I really did not care for, and I, I not even to spend this much time on it, really. Um, I didn't like Jojo delivering almost a eulogy in the middle of the ring. Um, I, I would have much rather had a video package. It felt incredibly ingenuine from Jojo. I mean, like I wonder, was Jojo even alive when George Herbert Walker Bush was in office? It just it's it didn't feel authentic at all. Right. I, I don't know. You know, if she was, she had to be, you know, in her early years. Yeah, very early years. She she didn't really understand anything that he's done uh, or you know, appreciate the moment. They, they should have won another out. I'll tell you what I found quite odd, or I guess more funny about this is a show where they honored a, a, a great conservative president. We also had we had individuals of Mexican heritage running around making their own rules. And Renee Young mentioning a corrupt government running WWE. I don't know. That's just my weird conservative mind went there, man. Like they were taking a shot at the uh, the current administration. Um, there's not really a good place to talk about this on the run as I'm sitting here looking at it. But how how awful has Renee Young become? And, and this isn't even necessarily against Renee Young because Renee Young has went on her podcast and has kind of bitched and moaned and complained about how she's been handcuffed at commentary. Um, but 
I don't know if it's how she's being produced or if it's just how damn condescending Corey Graves is, or if it's this entire storyline with Dean Ambrose, that's hurting her credibility. I don't know what it is, Rick, but I am done with Renee Young on commentary. Yeah, I guess it's the biggest issue we can, we can talk about, cause we do have some conversation coming up about Ambrose and Rollins and I complain of that, but in general, yeah, you know, she talked about how she's being handcuffed. Uh, they're telling her to keep it, to keep it pretty precise, uh, not to kind of drag out and really get her you know, to develop her thoughts. But let me ask you this. You know, everyone kind of wants to overreact because it's Renee. It's that first woman in that seat. Let's let's take that out. You know, she's just another on-air personality. And we've seen this time and time from everyone that has occupied that seat. And that's what I actually wanted to bring up. You know, because we, we know Vince is producing these people, right? Okay, so there's a three-man booth. And Renee has basically become Saxton. She, she gets random one-liners, and that's about it. When I think back to when Vince was on commentary, and Vince was a great commentator. I don't think Vince gets nearly enough credit for how damn good he really was at commentary. But it was a two-man booth. And I feel like Vince is still producing a two-man booth. He just feels like he has to have three people out there. Well, and that all comes, I think that was a Bucky movement, because you see that in other sports. Where, where it got popular. And now, but you see it going back, you look at, you know, football, you know, basketball, baseball, you see it going back to that too, man, because you have a better dynamic. Yeah. But they're, they're still stuck on that image of, you know, a decade ago where, you know, Monday Night Football had that three man. Yep. Where you're trying, where you're trying to bring it, and it, it almost goes to that format. You had your play-by-play guy, then you had your expert color gentleman, and then that's when they brought in Dennis Miller, remember? They were trying to get that comic relief. Yep. That's the formula they're still running with. Yeah. It is difficult to run with a it's difficult to run with a three person group. We know that just in this podcast game. You know, all the credit to the guys on the Wednesday in the locker room on the Honey Media group, you know, they they pull it off perfectly. They got a great dynamic between them. But anywhere we go, that's just not individuals that come on with us, but we've gone on other shows. It's just kind of there's a better flow and a conversation between two. Then when you start kind of and three is pushing a little bit, and I've been on shows where there's been four individuals and you're just stepping over each other trying to get a point in. It's kind of like doing a show with Big Ray Hernandez. Shout outs to Big Ray Hernandez. <laughs> Big Ray is two personalities in his own. So when he comes on with us, we've got like a four or five man booth going on. Shout out to Big Ray. We love you, brother. Um, so let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, Monday Night Raffle. Because uh, this this show, Rick, is it's just not very good, and I don't even know where to where to begin with how bad this show is. Um, and, and you know what it is? It, it's the Baron Corbin show, and, and Baron Corbin is just not that interesting. You know, I could I could stand the Baron Corbin show for about you know three minutes, but for three hours, it's just too goddamn much. Can't take it. And then we get this report that even Vince McMahon knows this show sucks and Vince is showing up late to the show now. Can we, f- can we find Vince McMahon $100,000 and uh, bury him on television now? I don't even know if, if he was showing up late because through this report, it doesn't really indicate if he was scheduled to be there, that maybe they were supposed to be running without him and he felt the need because he knew how bad things have been. He felt the need to show up here. But you know, ironically, you know, he shows up, we get these rewrites and we get the lowest rating ever. Well, the show was was just awful. And the show last week was awful. And it's like, why am I tuning in to watch this week to week? I, and, and the worst part is this week, they actually bookended the show with Ronda Rousey. 
Well, I, we'll get to that here in just a moment. But with, with Vince, I know you and I, we had a great conversation last week about, you know, is, is Vince getting too much heat for the state of WWE programming? So anyway, I started really thinking about it because originally, right when this came out, in the way that the sheets are spinning this, I was like, ah, oh, Junker was going to eat my lunch on this thing. I sat there and defended Vince McMahon last week, and now this report is that he showed up, did the rewrites, and we've got this, this absolute train wreck of a show, the lowest rating ever. But hey, I thought about this thing, and I think, you know, this is Vince just taking a shot to the head for his miserable team and the miserable practices that Stephanie has infected this programming with. I, I, I want to give him. I want to. I want to applaud him, Mr. McMahon, Father of the Year, Boss of the Year, to step up and take a shot for the terrible team that Stephanie and Triple H had put together down there. But hey, I want to. In all seriousness, if Vince, if Vince really got in there, saw this script, knew where they were going, and made all these changes, and we still got what we got. How bad was the original one? There is that. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the other thing that I, I find absolutely hilarious, and I'm going to stick up for Vince just a little bit, all right? Very little, but just a little bit. You know, they, they say that Vince McMahon really, at this point in time, all he's really concerning himself with is the main event talent. Okay, well, let me look at what the main event talent did on this week's episode of Monday Night Raw. We have the Drew McIntyre saga. I thought that was pretty good. We have the Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose angle. Thought that was pretty good. And I guess you have the Ronda Rousey thing, which is not my flavor and i question the ember moon decision but you know still absolutely one of the highlights of the show the rest of the show is fucking awful but it seems like what vince has got his hands in is actually pretty tolerable well you know if that is the case but i want to say if he's he's worried about the main event talent and you're mentioning what those individuals are doing his real main event talent uh brock is at on his ranch (laughs) Roman, roman is at home uh, tending to his medical issues, and Braun is out with injury. And the result is his, Vince shows up at 3.30 in the afternoon. <laughs> those are his main event stars that he is invested in. Now he has to deal with the, you know, the second tier, these B-leaguers probably in his mind. But you're all right. If we look at the focal points, those if, if we have to pick out anything that was tolerable or it looks like that they tr- at least tried, those are the segments, and those are the ones that he would be concerned with. So I wonder if when he's there, if it's everyone kind of just running around like with chickens with their heads cut off, trying just to make sure that those are somewhat suitable to his standards. And then you got the others just kind of twiddling their thumbs, you know, just trying to stay the hell out of the way, not mess anything up or probably even get noticed so they don't get, uh, you know, get axed next week. You got to believe there's some chaos going on back there. It sure seems like it. So let's let's go ahead. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Monday Night Raffle. Uh, we have the the opening kickoff. Things start off with Ronda Rousey, and the crowd goes mild. I I don't feel like people are that into what Ronda Rousey is doing at this point. Like we know that we should be. We know Ronda Rousey's a big star. We know that she is the chosen one. She's the one that's going to carry WWE into this promised land. But yeah, she's all right. 
That, that, that just feels like that's the attitude, you know, like we're way into what Becky's doing. We're way into what Charlotte's doing. And by association, we're kind of into what Rousey's doing if it's against Charlotte or Becky. But like this whole Ronda Rousey, Nia Jax thing, I don't feel like anybody gives a shit. We just want to see Nia Jax get beat up. If it's Ronda Rousey doing it, cool. Well, I think, you know, Jar, you've, you've, you've been kind of sour on this Ronda experience experiment from the get-go just because of the way they handled it you you had some faith and you know there's a, a great way to utilize her you know the, the problem right now is that they're limited with viable options to oppose her yeah all the, all the good competitions on the other show well and, and that's the problem you've got these stop gaps and it goes right to your point right there it's it's nia freaking jacks yep no one's investing anything here and you know and there are some other talents that they could be throwing in there to work with her right now that would hold people's interest, but they're going with Nia because, you know, they like that size and now they got the, the numbers game against her with Tamina in there. But, you know, we say so many times, we praise the talent for, for taking the, the crap they're giving creatively, doing the absolute best they can with it. That's simply not the case with Nia Jax. I mean, she takes the pure crap. She turns it into diarrhea. And I'm not just talking about regular diarrhea. I'm talking about bowl splattering the kind of, that kind of hurts diarrhea. Uh, there are very little redeeming qualities about what she brings to this product. I was watching that promo that she did backstage with Carly. And we're sitting there on the couch and we're watching this promo. And it just keeps going. And it just keeps going. And I was like, oh my God, why is she still talking? Like, if you're going to be the big dominant female and just like, you know, dwarf Charlie Caruso in size and intimidate her and look down on her, that works for about 30 seconds. And that promo felt like it went on for like three minutes. It was like, oh, my God, do something. Yeah, I, you know, I think and all credit here, because hey, you know, for us, we haven't been in the business. We don't know everything about we, we, we come at this thing from our expertise, our professional backgrounds, you know, in the, in the marketing, the events, the entertainment so we do. We listen. We're, we're lucky enough to be surrounded by some great individuals that have been there, that have learned from some of the absolute best when it comes to you know psychology inside the business. And, and I think that that's, Strangler Steve King has put it out there the best. She just doesn't get it. Whatever, you know, everything that's in professional wrestling, she's probably a wonderful person. She has so many talents, but unfortunately, none of them pertain to professional wrestling. Even with the, the great lineage she has, she just doesn't get it yeah no i agree and you know the other guy who doesn't get it is bucky uh we we talk all the time about how down inside of nxt we we look at how they shoot lars sullivan we look at how they shoot adam cole to make those two personalities seem larger than they are they don't do nia jacks any favors whatsoever either shoot her from underneath to make her look even bigger or shoot her over the shoulder because she's really not that big remember when she was like on camera with enzo her and enzo are looking at each other eye to eye it's that the rest of the girls are really that small shoot her over the shoulder so you kind of get that visual of her looking down on people do something but this just shooting her straight on is doing her zero favors right now What's well, you know, one of the big problems there is the presentation with her and, and they expose her weaknesses. You know, she's supposed to be in your one of your premier programs right now. And you're beginning she's probably had 15, 20 minutes of mic time in the last two weeks. 
uh, she shouldn't be talking at all. Yeah, she's done nothing. She shouldn't with be it. talking at all. Hey, we're, we're talking about this this opening segment. In the second segment, we're, I know we're going to get to. It. They didn't really do anything. And this whole this whole show was kind of like you said it was bookend around Ronda. So it did get me thinking as I was sitting here. Okay, what what do I want to talk about on from Monday Night Raw? You know, it maybe give a suggestion of where they're really dropping the ball. So I came up with something here. You know, if you want to do that open. And I, right when they did announce it, when it came out, you and I were talking. I was like, I can't believe we're gonna we're gonna give this thing away at the open. They're not gonna give us any tease, any build. So I agree. You know what? I kind of like that because some fans would be like, "Oh, we're getting this out of the gate." They did a little, little business with Natalia and the Riot Squad. Well, and we know that the the top of the first hour that is when they get their most viewership. So if you're gonna build a show around Ronda, absolutely open the show with Ronda. It made sense to well, me. Well, here's what, but here's what kills you on it. Give a good tease at that show. Don't give a, give people a reason not to turn back. And then if you're opening with Ronda there, give us a real story throughout the show. Just don't give us a real quick backstage and then randomly announce that she found a partner right before you're jumping into the main event. Now, what I really would have loved to see there, you have the Riot Squad come out, take care of business with, there with Natalia. That's fine. You can, you can run that whole open the way that you did. You, you can even run the backstage segment with Ronda and Bliss. You know, where Bliss is kind of being a little condescending to her. But here's here's why I would have changed the game. You know, right now we're just thinking Ronda's about muscle. Let's show that she's got some brains, that she could be a general out there. Where I would have loved to have seen her, you know, pretty much just strong arm her way into, you know what, this is crooked. If you say, Alexa Bliss, if you say that you're an unbiased authority figure and really just put the, the fear into her, you say you're unbiased. Okay, I'm going to find a partner. This match is going to happen. You're going to let me find a partner, and you're going to let me pick a stipulation on this thing. Okay, we got some intrigue. We got a partner. We got a stipulation. Then you get a major swerve. Have Ronda pick Ruby Riot as her partner. People are like, what? What? We just, the, the Riot Squad just took out her training partner, her best friend in WWE. Why is she picking Ruby Riot? Well, now we're seeing the brains here from Ronda because the stipulation is, if her and Ruby lose, then the Riot Squad is disbanded. Not only disbanded, they all go to separate brands. Well, well, so I'd, now I'd, I'd be all now, for Liv Morgan going back to NXT. Well, now you've got Ruby and her goons. You know that they're going to protect you the rest of the night because they got everything on the line, too. Their whole livelihood together is at stake. They got to go out there, put on a show to go over Nia and Tamina. All the while, of course, in that match, you have Ronda and Ruby go over. But in that match, you're not only doing business for your main, your one of your marquee matches at TLC, but you're also setting up now for you know this women's tag division that seems like we're getting. Now you've got tension between you know Nia, Tamina, and the squad. Okay, so let's let's talk about this women's tag division, and in doing so, that that brings us to Sasha and Bailey. Um. Rick, the the biggest issue that I had with this entire thing was that they did these two segments back to back. All right. So you mean to tell me, because we know that on the format sheet, it's going to say, you know, this is segment one. Segment two is going to be Bliss, Bailey, and Sasha. So they're waiting there in Gorilla. The Riot Squad comes out and attacks Rousey and Natalia. And who looks like absolute shit in this entire thing? Sasha and Bailey, because where well, were they? I can tell you this. You were saying it as we were watching it. We were 
we were having a, a conversation. I'm looking at the Hami Media group live discussion. Everyone's like, countdown, where are they? But you, and now we know they were standing right there. Yeah. The fact that they did these two segments back to back just made Sasha and Bailey look like bitches because they didn't come to help Rhonda and Natty against the riot squad who they've been having issues with. Like the story was built in here and we did nothing with it. We did absolutely nothing with it. And you could have drawn a definitive line in the sand. And then especially with the Ember Moon connection later on, you could have still went to Ember Moon, you know? So then you clearly have, this is the baby face side of the roster. This is the heel side of the roster. And you know what? Sasha and Bailey, I like those girls because they came out to help Rhonda. But no, they didn't do that. They just waited backstage for their segment and their music to hit. Well, this goes back to what you were talking about last week, how, how they're breaking down this show is comparable to Saturday Night Live. Yep. They Saturday don't pay Night. any attention okay. to it. That's over. Push it to the side. Let's bring the next one in. They're, they're not worrying about how fluid the show is. What makes sense? Uh, it's, you hit the nail on the head right when you put it last week. It's Nothing flows on these programs. But overall, I mean, a, a terrible segment. And now I guess we're, we're getting – this women's tag division. I mean, I think it's pretty clear now. They're just out outward saying it. But I, I'll tell you what. I'm going to take back every complaint that I've ever had or I've ever made about Stephanie McMahon just watching herself out there to grab the spotlight to make these big announcements. I'm going to take back every complaint about all of that if this is going to be the alternative. Uh, this was awful, man. This, this was awful last week, and then they did it again this week. Yeah, this is one of those where they, it's almost like they, they, they wrote the thing. They thought it was so great, and they thought it went over everyone's heads. So they had to roll it out there and try it again. I think they did that with the Bailey, This Is Your Life. Like, yep. that, that, and they keep like they they referred to the Bailey this is your life thing last week. Like don't remind us of how awful that segment was. Yeah. Um, immediately when I'm trying to go out and make a pitch to a new client, uh, I, I usually open with the last terrible thing I've done for them. Yeah. That 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 <laughs> seems like a great idea. Um and and then they do this thing and and this is one of those things that just pisses me off because this is the kind of thing that causes people to turn the show off. This was so incredibly contrived and meant to feel organic. And we're doing a Q and a session live on Monday night raw with obvious plants. Like this was so insulting to the viewers intelligence that people just shut it off. And, and these are the things that compound on, upon each other over and over and over and over and over. And it leads to the lowest rating in Monday Night Raw history. So the only thing they really accomplished in the first 45 minutes, the first hour of this show, was to convince millions upon millions of individuals that there was absolutely no reason to turn back into this thing. Yep. Absolutely nothing. I, and you could have rebuilt some credibility for Sasha and Bailey, and it, it was just awful. Just awful. And then it was all downhill from there. Oh, my God, I can't believe you put this on the run. The Lucha House Party defeats Scott Dawson. Say yeah! Say yeah, the revival is dead. The revival needs a revival. 
The Revival Making the Best of the Situation start an online petition. You can find it at inpetitions.com. Search Suspend Lucha House Rules. Rick, this is the dumbest goddamn thing I've ever seen, and here is why. All right? You have Baron fucking Corbin, the constipated constable, fucking general manager-elect fuckface. Why is he letting the Lucha House Party go out and do this shit? This is everything that goes against Baron Corbin. Well, that's what I'm saying. You know, and even commentary is putting over, well, they got permission from officials. That's my question. This doesn't seem like anything that Baron Corbin would do. I mean, did this come from, did this come from Stephanie McMahon? It doesn't seem like anything that she would do. Was there, was there a ballot sent to stockholders that I missed out on? I mean, who approved this? Uh, and if they and they keep putting that over, I mean, so it's, it's such a blatant. It's even worse than, you know, at least between the first and the second segment, where it would take a little bit of thought to figure out. Wait a minute, didn't they all just pass each other in the back? You know, where why didn't they come out and help the other babies? I mean, this is so absurd that anyone could figure this thing out. There's just there's no continuity. Even in segment to segment, there's no continuity on Monday Night Raw. And people are like, when people try to put some of this stuff over to me, and it's like, oh, well, you know, once they move to Fox, what makes you think that anything is going to get better? When I look at the track record, what makes me think anything is going to improve here? Well, here's the other thing with that. I keep hearing this as well. When they move to Fox, just be patient when they go to Fox. That's 10 months away. <laughs> it's like, just let me know when to start paying attention again, man, because this shit is awful. <laughs> you got so many people acting like once the calendar flips, they're going over to Fox. It's 10 months away. Oh, man. It's just. Uh, I And SmackDown's a better show, but, you know, Monday Night Raw is still getting more viewers than SmackDown. It's. It's just absurd. Just absurd. Uh, Dolph Ziggler defeats Drew McIntyre. Uh, and, and this one is, seems to be causing a bit of a commotion here amongst uh, some fans and people wondering if this was the right call. Are, are we missing the bigger picture here? This is Drew McIntyre's first loss, and you do it to Dolph Ziggler. And yeah, but it was a distraction finish. I mean, Drew is as protected inside of this as you possibly can be. You're just adding more gasoline onto the fire. You're trying to give Finn Balor back a little bit of credibility because, let's face it, they did nothing but bury him for the first eight to nine months out of the year. I mean, Jesus Christ, I think it was, uh, uh, what, August by the time he picked up his fifth singles win of the year? I, he was just completely trashed and thrown away and now you know we're hurting on baby faces and no shit he's our number two baby face we have to do something here i felt like this was more about finn balor than it was drew mcintyre or dolph ziggler drew gets his heat back later on in the night when he jumps finn backstage i don't see a whole lot of this having anything to do with dolph ziggler i feel like this is just how we're building the 50 50 feud of finn balor and drew mcintyre Okay, so we got 50-50 booking, and I get the element of surprise here. They got the best of the big man. Not a lot of people saw that coming, that Dolph was going to get that win. But but come on, man. The lack of foresight, they've gone and ruined you know, one, two, three potential big payoffs down the road because 
they're worried about the now. They don't see the big picture. They're worried about this 50-50 booking. I mean, you've got obviously what you could have done here is you, you're not going to hurt Finn Balor any more right now than you already have. He's got a fan base that is uber loyal to him. They're not going anywhere on him right now. Unless you still- beat the demon. That's the only way you can hurt Balor more than he already <laughs> well, is. That's what I'm thinking. You really want to bring him full circle? Helping out Dolph Ziggler get over on Drew McIntyre, that in the big picture does nothing for Finn Balor right now. Now, what you do is you have him go out there and have that kind of backfire. You know, we're a to Finn's best effort. McIntyre still able to get the best, get the best of Ziggler there. Then you go to TLC again. McIntyre gets him. He can't beat this monster. So what's he have to do? He's got to dig deep. He's got to call out. Do, do they even remember that? That they have the demon? It's been so long. I mean, it's been over a year. No. Since the last time we, we had the pumpkin face demon. No. We've had him since. Remember, he squashed Baron Corbin. I don't even remember it. Yeah, the demon squashed Baron Corbin, like just recently. Oh, yes, you are right. But yeah, okay, that's how that's how meaningful, impactful that was there. So let's let's reintroduce it under some big a big stakes match. As you said, for this run, McIntyre's undefeated since his return. He has been dominant since returning to Raw. Whatever he wants, whenever he wants. Who else is undefeated? The demon. The alter ego. The only thing, the only chance that Finn has is to reach in, grab that evil with inside him, unleash the demon. Then you put him over at the Royal Rumble. You have him go over Drew. You're at a marquee event. You've reestablished a great character. And then you transition from the demon the following night on Raw back to the ultra confident found himself again the man Finn Balor. But no, now that's gone. That that possibility is gone. Uh, you've also you've thrown away, you know, a, a potential undefeated Drew McIntyre actually make, taking his first loss to another monster in a Braun Strowman in a in an epic collision traditional, you know, your monsters of professional wrestling. Hell, you've even kind of thrown away on a cheap win, a potential payoff between everything we've seen develop between Dolph Ziggler and Drew McIntyre. Okay, well, let me uh, throw this at you and see if this does anything for you. I'm hearing myself for some reason. Um, so not only did we see Finn Balor during this Drew McIntyre segment, didn't see him come out and, and help Dolph Ziggler defeat Drew McIntyre, we would see Finn Balor later on in the night as well when he came out during the Elias Bobby Lashley fiasco that was. And there was a some kind of a shared moment there between Elias and Finn Balor. So I'm wondering, is there any potential of a Finn Balor, Elias, and Dolph Ziggler kind of trio at this point, kind of aligning against this corruption that is the Baron Corbin regime. I see where there is strength in numbers and, and maybe you realize you need one another, but I got to be honest with you. That does absolutely nothing for me. Well, I just, I don't see, I mean, when I'm looking at this team, you know, and I'm seeing Baron Corbin and Bobby Lashley and Drew McIntyre, and you're going to give me Elias, Dolph Ziggler, and Finn Balor? 
Like, really? I think, you know, what, what they're doing right now, they're just trying to get through the year. They're trying to get through TLC, trying to turn turn that corner so they can look at the Rumble. Because, you know, going into the Rumble, you're going to have those three monsters sitting there aligned with Corbin. They're going to go at it because the stakes, you know, at the Rumble. You know, what's on the line going to WrestleMania, that eventually is going to implode. And that cannot come soon enough. I mean, I know they look spectacular there together. You've, you've got... You know, Vince's dream vision and what so many believe that he thinks what he wants at the top with his big guys. But even they seem just like some sort of poor knockoff of some of the great factions, uh, you know, the, the, the threesomes that we've seen in the past. It doesn't really feel like the authority, does it? Um, how about this? How about this? Uh, not that we can afford to uh, turn any baby faces heel. But, you know, you had Finn Balor come out and he helps Dolph Ziggler and Finn Balor comes out and he helps Elias. And then Drew McIntyre kicks the shit out of Finn Balor. Nobody comes to help Finn Balor. Maybe Finn Balor's like, you know what? Fuck all you people. <laughs> Turns heel. I know. I think the only thing thinking. That would, well, no, I think the only thing that would hurt turning him heel is then you have two top heels on each brand that are smaller guys in stature. Well, I think the other issue becomes then Apollo Crews is your number three baby face on Monday Night Raw. And that doesn't really work. Hey, man, he made that big save this week. He did. You know, the baby faces are starting to rally together, you know, like maybe they should have done this three months ago leading up to Survivor Series. And actually, I'll tell you, you know, I'll tell you, it'd be a shame, you know, if you needed uh, a big bulking baby face, you know, someone that really uh, connects with the community. It gets over on his own, gets over outside of WWE. Such a shame you don't have a, a big giant African-American guy that's just been nominated for some you know, prestigious award that's constantly winning father of the year. Uh, he's a great ambassador for your brand. Such a shame they don't have someone like that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's unfortunate. If only we could find someone like that. Damn. Where do you find a man like that? The NBA? Huh. Uh, so let's talk about Seth Rollins and... Uh, Dean Bain bros. Uh, thank, th thanks to Strangler Steve for that one. Uh, I absolutely got the Bane impression. As soon as he walked out and I saw the coat and the mask, it was like, oh, he's, he's doing Bane. Okay. Uh, we, we talked about this a little bit off the air. I really like what Dean Ambrose did. I really like the Dean Ambrose promo. I liked everything about this segment. I'm just not into it because I cannot get into Dean Ambrose. It, that's been a long time with you. You've tried and you've tried. Because, uh, you know, since we started doing this, I am an Ambrose guy. And it might be a lot of the ties that we come from the same area. That, that I've, I've met Dean before. I've had drinks with Dean. And, and when you have that kind of connection, you, you root for an individual like that. i got to be honest with you. That since he's come to WWE, uh, there's just something that really hasn't clicked. And I was hoping, you know, when he came back this time, we get the heel turn. So many people that, that knew John Moxley, we knew we're not going to get what Mox was. You know, because of the WWE environment, but this is like we this was the closest that we were going to get here. And I got to tell you, this program and I, I love the intensity between these two each and every week. But the problem is the material that they're being given to work with is pure garbage. You know, this this segment this past Monday on Raw, I, I love the, the the mask. I, I like the look. I, I liked the the side the extra siren and with with the music. I, I like the visual aspect of that. But then when you get to the content, and this is what kind of ruined the mask for me. If it was more of just like a crazed, he's coming in like an invasion sort of thing. But going back to it, and I'll still defend it. I agree 
with the decision when they turned him and in the timing to strike when it was hot, to invoke that emotion, emotion that we have not seen from a WWE audience in years. But now what they're continuing to do, like they always do, is they're driving it into the ground. Everything is themed around sickness now. And now it's getting a little petty and tacky. Uh, my only issue with this entire segment was when Ambrose was running away from Rollins. Like what, what part of the Dean Ambrose personality at this point is a chicken shit heel that, that, that just felt a little disconnected. It's like, I'm super intense and I'm super into it and I can't wait to get my hands on Seth Rollins and Oh shit, there he is. Ah! I was just, (laughs) (laughs) I was just glad they didn't have Rollins dressed up as one of the other, the guys under the mask. Yeah, there is that. There is that. Uh, so let's go ahead. Let's talk about uh, Tuesday night blue balls because it's all about the women over on SmackDown Live. That's that's really the only thing worth watching. That and uh, uh, Kurt Cobain. I mean Daniel Bryan. Um, so Tuesday night SmackDown falls below two million viewers for the first time in two years. I don't even know what to say anymore, Rick. I, I, I don't understand why people are tuning out of SmackDown. I don't see anything on SmackDown that's turning me off other than, you know, the, the seven-second dance party. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you exactly what it is. You know, I, I didn't tune in Tuesday night. I, I caught the replay yesterday on Daily Motion. And actually, when I was watching it, I enjoyed SmackDown. I enjoyed it a lot. Is it you know, just- I enjoyed it. Is it just the drag of Monday Night Raw is turning people it's, off to tune in on Tuesday? That's exactly what it is. And I, and I'll lay it out here like this. Let's think about it like if you go out to a bar or even to a restaurant uh, and you've got this lousy, pitiful server. You're getting terrible freaking service. And then there's a shift change. And you know there's a great bartender coming on right after. A great server is going to come and replace them. You know you're going to have the time of your life, but you've been beat down so much by the previous server, you just want to get the hell as far away from it as you can. And that's the mindset I had on Tuesday. You know, I I got my work done for the day. I got a phone call. Hey, you want to go get go meet up for happy hour or later happy hour and all that? And I even said to him, I said, that's great. I'll come out for an hour or two. I want to be home to watch wrestling. And as I was out there starting to enjoy myself, I got to think, why am I going to go home and put myself through two more hours of WWE programming after I just sat through Raw? And I knew in the back of my mind that I was going to enjoy SmackDown. I just needed to get the hell away from it. And that's what people are doing. They were so turned off by what we saw on Monday that there was no way they were going to hang over for Tuesday. And, hey, and WWE themselves, they repeatedly tell, remind us, we're all supposed to be our best program. And if that's what you get out of your best, what are you going to get on the, on the B show? All valid points. Very, very valid points. Uh, let's talk about Kurt Cobain. I mean, Daniel Bryan. Uh, you know, there, there's just something about the way that Brian is dressing and presenting himself that is so 1991 Seattle right now. Uh, what do you think of the direction that they're going here with Daniel Bryan? Because I, I kind of changed my mind on it in watching this promo for a second time since Tuesday. Really? Okay. I, I'm digging it. I, I'm enjoying this thing. I love the interaction with him and Miz. The overall vibe we're getting from him, I, I, I like that he, you know, typically in any fashion, that little guy you want to root for, him, but he's such, 
he's he's one he's coming off as one of those little socialist snowflakes that that individuals like me we just love to hate. So now I'm not, I'm now finding myself just not rooting for him when he gets beat. But I want somebody like a, a size of a Braun Strowman to come in and just put a whooping on him, just to shut his little hippie twerp butt up. And, I, and that's that's what it's supposed to pull out of me. He's getting that from me, so I appreciate that. I, I think it's tremendous work. Um, the reason that I didn't like it originally is I, this is just not the Daniel Bryan that I want. I want the American dragon, Brian Danielson. I want a uh, uh, Daniel Bryan, who is a better professional wrestler than everybody else on the face of the planet. And I have this championship. And if you want it, come and try to take it from me. And I am going to beat you inside of this ring. That is the Daniel Bryan that I wanted. Uh, and, and then I remembered, oh yeah, this is the WWE and Brian has to be a character. So they're going with the angry vegan and, and, and that's fine. Um, so we have angry vegan Kurt Cobain and, um, that's the new character for the new Daniel Bryan. And I got to thinking about it and I guess I'm okay with it because they say that the best character is your own personality turned up to 10. And this is really who Daniel Bryan is. So he's just finding the things that outrage him and piss him off about our society. And that's going to be the basis for his new character. And I think it's going to turn out to be pretty good. Well, I, I think it's, you know, I'm loving it so far, but I do want to ask you, you're talking about, I see you appreciate cause I mean, that's, that's the school you come from and you just say, hey, let's get in the ring. Let's throw down. Let's see who's the best performer, truly the best. But could that generate the heat they're looking for? Don't you think that people would still rally behind him? Right now, he's getting some great, great heel heat. Yeah, that's true. Wait, and, you know, it goes back to something you had brought up even before. Jogger, you've been mentioning this even before the turn. You were getting that, that feel from him, that CM Punk vibe. And, and that's really where he's going. I think he's doing a much better job here than we saw Punk do with his straight edge. That's very much the feeling that I was getting in watching this segment on Tuesday was that CM Punk straight edge society. I'm better than you. I'm drug free. And, you know, that, that very much felt like that kind of feeling. I, I well, love the when, whole fickle thing, too. I think it's great. Oh, oh yeah. That, that was irritating people so much that they, they want to get into that chant and he's getting the fickle thing going. And I Can love that he buried the fucking what thing. Thank you, Daniel Bryan. I've been waiting for years for somebody to tell the WWE universe how fucking stupid that is. And you finally did it. I'm a fan of uh, Kurt Cobain. You know, that's it. It is. What if uh, what's what's the over under on the audience starting to chant fickle? (laughs) (laughs) By the rumble, by the rumble, are we going to get a fickle chant? Fickle, fickle. This is fickle. This is. Hey, I got. I, I got another one. You got the comparison there, Street Edge Society. Well, eventually we got the. You know, as we see Daniel evolve, is he going to get some muscle? Is he going to bring bring in global warning? It's funny because I'm I'm sitting here and I'm looking at this run for SmackDown, and it, and it really was the CM Punk show. 
because you go to the next story that we have on the list here, and that's Samoa Joe ripping on Jeff Hardy for being an alcoholic. Oh, wait, I saw that angle once, too, and it was by a guy by the name of CM Punk, and that was exactly what I thought of the second that Joe started talking. I thought what Joe did was great. It's absolutely relevant. It completely hits home. CM Punk did this like seven years ago. Well, I say, hey, everyone's been wanting, waiting for the return of CM Punk. You've got it. You just got it in the form of Daniel Bryan and Samoa Joe. You, you've got it. CM Punk is back. I guess my big question with this thing is I'm sitting there watching it, and I know they're, they're trying to, to put the, the sympathy on Jeff Hardy, but it, is this the right direction? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess it's, it's, not really, it's not really, I guess, cool or in good taste. To, to mock somebody for having to overcome addictions or demons like that. But let's face it, you know, it, that it's kind of a hot button issue in our society. You see, you know, with, with the opiates epidemic that's going around, how many individuals are just, you know what, we're sick of helping these people. Why are they getting, getting these free Narcan shots? It, it, why should we give them second chances? I mean, you're walking kind of a fine line there. Well, and the thing with Jeff Hardy is it's not just a second chance. I mean, the, 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 this is chance upon chance upon chance upon chance. Uh, the, the one thing that I do hope, if they are going to go down this road, I, I do hope that they bring a little bit of the history into this because, you know, when there was that historic match between Jeff Hardy and Sting where Jeff was too goddamn fucked up to even work the goddamn match, who was backstage, not in the main event that night? The man's name was Samoa Joe. Bring some of that history into it. Make this a thing where, you know, Joe has been pissed off about this for years and that this has been a recurring thing. And once again, he is being overlooked because of drunken Jeff Hardy, and he's just not going to have it this time. Oh, man, brother. All right. I don't know if it's been announced yet. So this match goes down at, at TLC. Right before Jeff's about ready to go, you have Joe show up with the DEA and have a testing. Oh, he shit. needs he or on the pre-show. We always talk about doing business on the pre-show. He's demanding a piss test. There you go. From Jeff Hardy before he goes out there to make sure that he can perform. You really, you really want to spark some controversy with this thing? Yeah. There we go. Yeah, I ain't getting in the ring with you. I ain't having that whole uh, sting thing go down. I mean, just a comment like that in passing and the marks would lose their you, minds. Hey, and then, hey, between the next week, have Joe come out and sting face paint. Oh, shit. <laughs> you oh, man. You want, you want to blow the minds of some smarks? Oh, gasoline on a fire. Hey. WWE, if you like to sit in the back and make yourself pop, come on. Yeah. Come, come on, on, rogue dog. You know you need off of that shit. Come on. Come on. All right, let's let us let's talk about the main event, and that, of course, is the ladies. Uh, Becky versus Charlotte versus Asuka. We saw the promo. We saw the contract signing. And Rick, they, I can't believe they're going to do this. At least they're giving us a week's worth of notice and hopefully there's enough hype and people know that this is going to happen and people will tune in to watch it. They are giving us the WrestleMania rematch next week on SmackDown live. It is going to be the queen Charlotte flair taking on the empress of tomorrow, 
Asuka. Huckleberry, any chance that the Empress gets her win back Tuesday on SmackDown Live? You know, I, I think I think it'd be poor booking right now. I think we're and you got me you got me swayed on this thing where I was just so down on WWE that if I didn't think there was any way they're going to take this championship off back. Just because I think they're lazy. Not that I agree with it, but you've got me convinced. The worst possible thing they can do is not put this championship on Asuka. So I don't think this is the right time to give her that win back. I don't have her take a loss here. This is a no contest. And then what we have there is a teaser for another future, you know, larger stage encounter between those two. You know, maybe it was so close, you know, oh, maybe Asuka could have got it there. Or maybe Charlotte did have her, does have her number. Then the match, you know, gets, gets broken. Here's what I really think happens. I think they actually, they've already foreshadowed this for us. Because you got Mandy Rose out there saying, what if they don't make it? Yep. So I think you see that locker room empty out and, and try to take those two out of action so that they can claim that spot. You know, that I think they've they've already there. They've already kind of given away the end for us. Now, but I'm okay. here, I'm here's okay my problem, that. though. Here's my problem, though. If we empty out the locker room to come and try to take out Asuka and Charlotte, at least the heel side of the locker room, let's just say that. So so we bring out the heel side of the locker room and we and we try to do a beatdown on Charlotte and Asuka. The way that I see that thing going is it's going to end up with Charlotte and Asuka standing side by side and taking out all of the heels. All right. Do we really need to lower anybody else inside of the women's division right now? Because like. Like right now on SmackDown, you've got Becky, you've got Charlotte, you've got Asuka, and then you've got everybody else. Well, the way you're the way you're laying it out there, let's really break it down. They're going to run out the entire heel locker room, and you're worried are we going to lower them anymore? Let's look at who that is. It's the Iconics, Mandy Rose, and Sonya Deville. I think you're safe having Charlotte, having Charlotte and Asuka beat them up, and I, I hope that's what closes the show. I think that'd be a great visual on your go home as you got. Oscar takes two of them out. Charlotte takes two of them out. They kind of turn. They're ready to square back up. And out comes Becky holding the title up on the stage to let them know, hey, attention's up here. You ladies are coming after this at TLC, and it's going to be hanging high up there, and I'm going to go grab it. Close the show right there. That's your hottest program in WWE right now. That should be your final moment on that go home. So we probably won't get any of that. So they have announced that it's going to be Sharshar versus Asuka next week. And once again, Becky Lynch steals the headlines because Huckleberry, this is just absolutely insane to me. This tweet coming from Becky herself. They tell me that my Royal Rumble VIP access sold out in 90 seconds. I see and hear you all, all the t-shirts, the signs, the posts, the love, the man sees you all. They didn't expect us, but here we are. 90 seconds, dude. You know, it's, it's really amazing when you kind of let something organically develop uh, to, let, to let your audience grasp onto something and let them ride it to the top where it's not so forced. And this is, you know, this is you know, just a testament to how, you know, how great of a talent she is you know, to be able to go out there and capture these individuals. You got to give her, you know, all the credit. She has earned every bit of this success. And hopefully that they don't try to, you know, pull this out from her after WrestleMania season. It's going to be very, very interesting to see where the cards fall come WrestleMania season. It's going to be interesting to see if they do what we have predicted and take this away from the WWE universe and take that title off of Becky Lynch at TLC. One last thing on this ladies match. And this, like I said, 
we're both in agreement. And I think a large part of the, you know, our listeners, the audience out there in agreement, it's the hottest thing going to WWE. But here's one thing. And I've noticed we made the mistake last week when we were talking about it. I've, I've noticed some other shows making the mistake. And it, it seems like the gimmick is really lost here. No one's, no one's really concerned that this is the first ever women's TLC match. It's amazing when you just don't arbitrarily just run it out there for the sake of history and you actually have other things involved because I've, I've heard on so many shows, they're arguing who takes the pin here. Well, no one has to take the pin here because we're in a, it seems that everyone's for kids that we're in a TLC because we're actually invested in the story. Yep. As soon as we saw that title suspended, I was like, Oh, okay. So they're not going to do uh Oscar's taking the pin. That's not her role in this match. If this is going to be suspended above the ring, I'm telling you, I think Asuka is walking out your SmackDown Live Women's Champion. So, Rick, the, the WWE program, looking at the five hours overall, it's kind of stale at this point. And it's it's moving a little bit backwards. So let's let's talk about something that's red hot and moving forward, and that would be Casey Lennox. Huckleberry, why don't you toss it over to the Casey Lennox interview here? Well, I was going to say, I hope everyone enjoys this as much as I did. Like I said, such an amazing talent, uh, a tremendous passion for professional wrestling and beyond. We're going to talk about all of that. So I hope you guys enjoy getting to know Major League Wrestling's Casey Lennox. We'll see you on the other side. Top to bottom, bottom to top. We don't stop like cops living in the donut shop. We pop, we keep it dealing and forced to Pro Wrestling Enthusiasts, it's Rick Vickery here, of course, with the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast in association with the GorillaPosition.com, Last Word on Pro Wrestling, NDPW.com, and the Hameen Media Group. But it's not about putting over our great partner platforms, because right now we're joined by a very special guest. She hails from Baltimore, Maryland, but is coming to us from the sunshine of beautiful Orlando, Florida. Many will recognize her from Major League Wrestling, but she is making waves all over this crazy world of professional wrestling. She is making the rocker dropper great again. She is Casey Lennox. Miss Lennox, welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, really looking forward to uh, to getting to speak, speak with you and introduce you to our listeners uh, like I said, Miss Lennox, hey, no problem. But like I said, Miss Lennox, uh, I mentioned you're originally from from Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, we're mm-hmm. at a, a young age, I believe, ten years old. Uh, you've said in, in previous interviews, you fell in love with pro wrestling. Can you tell us a little yeah. bit about those? Uh, a little bit about those early years and what fueled your drive to to make pro wrestling your livelihood. So I, like you said, I started watching wrestling when I was ten years old. Uh, my brother pretty much got me into it because at the time, him and my stepbrothers and my stepfather, they all watched wrestling together. And I was just, you know, the girl who did her makeup and just tried to do her modeling thing. But then I actually caught the wrestling bug. <laughs> um, and I just started watching from there. I, I wanted, I knew I wanted to be a professional wrestler when I went to my first show. And that would be at the First Marin Arena. Um, I was in the nosebleed section, but I looked down into the ring. And when the Venus came out at the time, it was Tori Wilson and Don Marie and Sable. Uh, they were in the ring. And everyone's reaction to them just made me think, like, this is what I want to do. It wasn't any, like, 
I don't want to say it wasn't any match because there's matches now that I watch and there's matches uh, in the past that I've watched that are like, dang, this is crazy. This is exactly why I do this. Like, I still get into it as a fan. Um, but just seeing them, the women down there grabbing the attention and they're strong and they're powerful and it just made me want to do it so bad. So I did it. <laughs> that, that is awesome. Well, I understand, you know, as I was prepping for the interview before you went into pro wrestling, it seems like you were quite the accomplished tennis player. Uh, do you still hit the courts at all? <laughs> um, I don't hit the courts because I don't have anybody to play with. Um, but if I did have someone to play with, I would totally hit the courts. I kind of like, I don't remember all the rules from tennis, uh, but when I get out there, I try to pretend that I remember all the rules and I get super competitive. So people don't really like that. But uh, I love going to play tennis and any sport, really. Well, is I it, like to think super active. Is it that you can't find anyone to play with or everyone's just tired of you kicking their butt? <laughs> we'll go with the second, the second <laughs> answer. That, that, that sounds perfect. <laughs> uh, so as you said, you, you knew you want to be in professional wrestling at that early age. So when you graduated from high school, you enrolled in uh, Gilbert's Pro Wrestling Academy. You were there for a little mm -hmm. bit, uh, but you soon set your sights on, on bigger goals, and you decided to relocate <laughs> to Tampa, Florida. And, and I know you were you were all set to venture out on your own, but you ended up having some some travel companions. Can you tell us about uh, that great support system you have with you down there? Yes. So I was going to move to Tampa to do the FBW Beginners Course. Um, unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, because now the Performance Center is such a big thing it's like a big place and there's so many uh people that come in that they learn from you know uh when I was there it was an amazing experience but I was gonna move to Tampa to go to FCW and then he moved here um so kind of long story short my family was gonna move to Florida anyway when I was younger and my brother and I kind of talked my parents out of it um my brother finally graduated from high school so we moved and my family's always been super supportive they've come to literally every match that's close um but they're really supportive they watch mlw every week um if i'm on it or if i'm not on it but yeah i'm blessed to have such a great support system even though like sometimes we don't get along but that's every family they still support me. Yeah, I, I think that's great. You know, there's no better support than a strong family. And it's great that, you know, that they all would make that move with you and, and be there to support your <laughs> dream. Now, you, you mentioned WWE. Uh, I saw your audition tape for Tough Enough, and I want to say, you know, I, I absolutely loved it. Um, now, you, unfortunately, you didn't make the show, but, hey, it turned out you were granted a dream opportunity uh, and given an official WWE tryout. Uh, what did you learn from that experience? <laughs> I just learned to continuously work. Like, that tryout is super hard, and I feel like some people probably go into it and say, oh, it's easy, it's this, it's that. Um, and people try to prepare for the tryout, as, like, I try to prepare for it as well. Um, but the tryouts change consistently, and I feel like that's to keep people on their feet. But what I just learned from it is literally to take everything that I learned there to the place that I train now, which is Team Vision Dojo, and just apply it. Like, I'm not always going to be the best person at doing a certain move or getting something right away, but you have to remain consistent 
and just keep trying to do it. And that's what I feel like you look for something or somebody who is uh, coachable and somebody who just keeps trying, you know? Well, I was going to say, you know, WWE, they, they obviously, they missed out. Uh, and, it, and it was where Aww. it was where Major League Wrestling stepped in. They picked up the ball and made you an on-air talent. Now, I know going into MLW, you had some reservations about just working as an interviewer because your passion is, is getting there and, and mixing up in the ring. But what have you learned so far from your MLW experience? MLW, Major League Wrestling, it is it's insane. It's one of the top promotions right now. Um, just in wrestling, you know, we, we have some of the top talent and I feel like I just learned a lot from them, like, like Tommy Dreamer or Bruce Pritchard or Court Bauer. I mean, Court's been everywhere. Uh, so getting to learn from them just different, literally every little different thing from being on camera, from people cutting their promos or from, um, just the guys recording everything, the cameramen, uh, to even the announcers. You know, I just learned different things from each of them that I just feel like it's going to make me a better performer. But so there's a lot. Like, I can't pinpoint one certain thing that I've learned, uh, but, yeah. I would say it has to be pretty incredible, you know, being a fan, you know, since you were a, a kid and now, you know, watching those individuals on television and now you're right there with them as a colleague. It's It's got to be just an incredible yeah. experience, incredible feeling every time, that, every time you go to work. It is very incredible. Somebody who, uh, who is at MLW that I definitely love working with. And I, I felt like at some point in my career, I would get to work with him, but not so soon is Joey Ryan. Um, he's the man. Like, I love him. <laughs> uh, the, the very controversial uh, Joey Ryan. <laughs> he is controversial. Um, but he's very, like, his hustle is strong. He's an amazing wrestler. He's amazing on the mic. His character is great. Just overall, like, he's made a name for himself all over the world. Like, he's literally bought himself a house just on wrestling. And I feel like that is everyone's goal. At least that's my goal. Um, whether I make it to WWE or TNA or if I stay with MLW, uh, that's my goal, just to make a living off of wrestling and to be able to work with someone who has already made a living off of wrestling, it kind of, it makes me happy. <laughs> what are you, you mentioned Jerry Ryan there. Uh, how about, you know, some of, you know, those that, you know, maybe that you watched while you're growing up, you, you'd mentioned it like a Tommy Dreamer. I know Kevin Sullivan's heavily mm -hmm. involved down there, Conan. I have to imagine you've learned so much from them. I have. I love working with Conan. He actually helps me uh, a lot on just speech and having confidence. And he has so much confidence <laughs> uh, because he's been doing it for so long. And, you know, he just, he's learned along the way. But I feel like I love Tommy. I love his stories. I love the way he has his matches. He always goes out in the crowd, always reacts to him. So that's a goal of mine. That's what I want to learn from him. Um, again, I just learned different things from each person. We've had John Hennigan come in. Uh, we've had so many people. Kevin Sullivan, like you said, Kevin is so sweet. Um, but, yeah, I just learned something different from each person, and I hope that continues. I hope we continue to bring in more veteran talent, and just even if they're not veterans, just people who have been around the world. I think yeah, that's so incredible. I can't imagine just, you know, 
the feeling you have each and time, each and every time you, you go to work there. But, you know, we're, we're talking mm-hmm. about, about wrestling here, but, you know, Casey Lennox, she's more than just pro wrestling. You, you have a successful modeling career and I, I, I'd like to say an incredible flavor for fashion. Can you tell us a little bit about those aspects of your life? Uh, I love modeling. I started modeling when I was oh, maybe 16. I forget how old I was. I was a baby, though. Um, I started modeling when I was 16, and it's just always been a passion. In fashion, I just love clothes. <laughs> I love different um, different styles of clothes. Like Right now, you'll probably catch me in sweatpants and a crop top. But uh, my closet is full of all different styles of clothes. Um, I really love, like, British style. Um, I love going into little boutiques and picking up just random things. Like, I don't, people are always going to probably have the same thing. Um, But I just have, I like having something that not a lot of people have, if that makes sense. Have you ever thought about combining the two, like maybe starting your own like signature line of, uh, you know, wrestling wear? That would be cute. Wrestling wear is so expensive sometimes, though. Well, you could even come <laughs> up, you know, with, uh, you know, something even for the fans, you know, different sorts of, you know, it's, you know, like outside budget of, friendly. Yeah, just, you know, outside of, uh, just outside of T-shirts, you know, just other accessories, things like that, that the fans could get into. That's, that's something you could look into. Yeah, that's it. That'd be totally dope. <laughs> well, I... I know this uh, this past year you've won the the Real Pro Wrestling uh, Women's Championship. Uh-huh. Um, you're, you're training at Team Vision Dojo, as you said. Uh, yeah. Overall, you're living the hectic pro wrestling life. But what's what's your weekly routine like? Uh, I literally just <laughs> my life's kind of boring. I don't like boring's not a good word, but uh, I literally get up. I work at SeaWorld during the week so that when I travel, um, I just had the funds to eat and just put gas in the car or pay for a room or anything like that if that's not covered or if, if I'm not uh, super far. Um, so I work at SeaWorld and then I just go to the gym. I normally try to get the training if I do not work. Uh, and then I just come home and chill with my family. Uh-huh. Occasionally I might get a photo shoot in or something like that, but... <laughs> How often are you training? Uh, right now, I try to go literally whenever I am off of work and training is available. It's kind of our busy season because it's Christmas. It's busy everywhere. So I'm normally getting to training twice a week. Um, my school has uh, Monday, mm-hmm, Wednesday... Thursday. We have about like six or seven opportunities at my school to train. I just don't get there until the later classes because of work. Especially in our slow season, I'll be there more. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Well, you know, uh, finally, Miss Lennox, I, I kind of want to just talk about, you know, women's wrestling overall and, and see where, yeah. you know, so in 2018, women's pro wrestling, it, it's really taken center stage. Uh, there's so many of you in, incredible trailblazers out there just just paving the way for that next generation of great stars when you you know kind of progress in your career and you're looking back what do you hope that that Casey Lennox's legacy is I just hope I can kind of be the Tori Wilson 
that she was for me, you know, just somebody who, when a little girl is watching wrestling or watching, um, a modeling thing. If I do a, a runway, a runway thing or any of my photo shoots, whenever a little girl looks at me or even a little boy or literally anyone of any age, when they look at me, I just want them to say she did good for herself and I can do my dreams, you know? I can uh, take control of my life and conquer all of my dreams. Like just, whatever, I have so many things around my room that say dream and say that, uh, girl, you can do amazing things. Like that's, that's what I want my legacy to be, to just prove to girls or anyone that you can go out, you can be the person that you want to be, regardless of what the world says, regardless of how long it takes to get there or how hard it is, that you can you can be what you want to be. So Casey, Casey Lennox, inspiration. That's what we're going to link <laughs> together, those two terms. We're going to link those together. Yes. Well, I'll tell you what, Miss Lennox, uh, thank you so much for your time and let us, letting us in on your life. Uh, can you tell our listeners and your great fans where they can keep up with you on social media? You can keep up with me on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. All of my social media is M-I-S-S-K-A-C-I-L-E-N-N-O-S. That is Miss Casey Lennox, so it's super easy to find. Um, but, yeah, it's the same on all of them. I, I constantly post. Sometimes when I'm, like, crazy busy, I don't post. Uh, but... If I don't post, I definitely post like five times the next day. So, <laughs> um, yeah, just miss Casey Lennox. I'll post my matches. Uh, I'll post all of my upcoming stuff. I'll post photo shoots. Um, I'll post merch. I'll post everything on there. That, that sounds awesome. Well, again, I want to thank you so much. And before we get out of here, I have a, a little tip for our listeners out there. If they happen to see Casey Lennox and Sasha Banks in the same room, you can tell you can tell the two apart because Casey is the one with talent. No. Oh, it's okay. She's never going to hear this. We're we're all right. <laughs> no, Sasha. I feel Sasha is very talented. Um, she's been wrestling for quite some time, uh, and I mean, I hope that. She's still in WWE when I get there, so maybe we can have that match. Well, we can have a little twin magic, I think. <laughs> <laughs> or, yeah. All right, Miss Lennox, thank you very much. Thank you. When I wake up, I'm constantly reminded of this. I wish I could take back all I did. This life I lived. I need to wake from this bed. Good job, Huckleberry. I'm proud of you. Look at you, growing up and putting on your big boy pants, doing interviews all by yourself now. Hey, there we go. So, uh, very special thanks to Casey Lennox of MLW. Tune in. I, I, I always watch the show on YouTube. Do you get BN Sports where you are? Uh, I've, I've been on YouTube with it now. And, but I'll tell you what, I have been hooked. Uh, I, I Originally, I was trying to get caught up. You actually, you gave me a good piece of advice, man. Just jump on in. You'll yep. figure it out. You'll figure out where they've been, where they're going. Jump on in. You want to get up. You don't want to waste any time with the pass. You know, hop on the train as it's moving. And I'll tell you what, 
it's a great product. I, I'm really enjoying it. It, it might be probably uh, arguably my favorite going right now. Yeah, I'm really enjoying some MLW. Uh, let's talk about another product that that we like. And Rick, I got to speak with uh, Ian Riccaboni, the voice of All In. Just earlier, before we started doing the show here today, you'll be able to catch that interview Monday in the locker room. But Rick, in, in doing our research for the Ian Riccaboni interview, we came across an interesting tidbit of news that Jim Ross dropped on his podcast, just kind of in passing. You know, no big deal. We're just going to kind of throw this out there and, and we'll move on from it. We're not going to pay any attention to it. But the words came out of his mouth that the rumor is... All in two is going to go down in May of 2019. Huckleberry, are you all in? I think, you know, after the first experience, everything that, that we got to, exp- I, I would say it wasn't even really experience. It was like a, this out of body, just moment uh, beyond experience. Everything from StarCast to beyond uh, sitting there in the arena, simply incredible amazing stuff i know it's going to be impossible to to ever capture that moment again but you got to believe if they're running another one of these out of there i think both of us we're going to be there you know to to see how this thing pans out but i guess you know the big question though is you know where's this thing going to be double or nothing i'm i'm thinking vegas i'm thinking they try to go to vegas That's, that's 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 just my prediction Let's talk about a guy that very well may be at all into. And Rick, this story makes me very, very happy. That dirty bastard Pac, otherwise known as the former WWE Adrian Neville, has captured the Dragon Gate Open the Dream Gate Championship. This is the, the top honor inside of Dragon Gate. The bastard Pac capturing his first gold since leaving the wwe and rick that's not even the biggest news the big news at rev pro high stakes 2019 february 15th the bastard Pac is going to be taking on the aerial assassin will osprey york's halls fastest sellout ever Billy Ray Valentine demands that we acknowledge that he was right regarding the unimportance of storylines in pro wrestling. Go fuck yourself, Billy Ray Valentine. This story is going to be lit. Will Ospreay's been talking shit about the bastard Pac for at least two years at this point. I am looking forward to this match. we got three months to go, and I guarantee you both of these guys are going to make sure that there is a storyline going into your call. I was, I was going to say, and I... It, Believe me, he's going to hear this because he is going to get tagged in it left and right everywhere, every platform that this show is on, every bullet point that goes out from this show is going to be a reminder to BRV, Billy Ray Valentine, that just because, well, you know what, I don't, I'm not even really take a, a true shot at you just because you might not be as educated as we are here on the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, that's because you might not be up to speed with things that are going on outside your little WWE bubble because that's all you talk about on your show. Uh, just because there isn't some grand conspiracy behind this story does not mean that there is not a great program being developed between these two. But sure, I guess for the marks that just look at a poster and, and pop from that, you're really missing out on the substance and, and the true meaning behind this thing. 
You know, we've been without Osprey for a couple of months now after that match with Walter, which was brutal if you haven't seen it. I did find, you can find it on YouTube. Um, Walter versus Will Osprey. That's the match that's put Osprey on the shelf. But now looking forward to early 2019, you know, Osprey was worried that he wasn't going to have anybody that he could wrestle. Um, it's looking like he's going to have two huge matches. He's going to have Kota Ibushi in January, and then he's going to have the bastard Pac in uh, February. That's a pretty good start to 2019. Pretty sure both of those matches will end up on my match of the year 2019 list. So Huckleberry, let's uh, let's throw it over to uh, the yellow brand. Let's talk a little bit of NXT uh, because we've had a couple of debuts. We've had a big match announced for uh, Takeover Phoenix. Intrigued to your thoughts here, um, Lars Sullivan. Let's let's start with Lars. We're we're seeing the vignettes on mo- both Monday Night Raw and Tuesday Night SmackDown. We know that Lars Sullivan is the hottest free agent in the history of all of professional wrestling. What do you think of how they're presenting Lars at this point? You you know, I'm really, I'm liking the vignettes and I hope they take their time with them. But in watching each one of them, I have a growing concern that that's all they know right now. They have no plans in store for him going forward. And I'm sorry, you know, if somebody wants to doubt me on that, but where's the proof otherwise? You know, you saw awesome vignettes for sanity. Yeah. How lost is all the potential there? We, we constantly see this. And looking at both landscapes, I think we're both in an agreement that you to establish him as that dominant monster, that the blue brand is the right choice. Especially, you know, the way we were just talking about the presentation from Bucky and his crew, they are going to do large a huge disservice if they run him out there on Monday Night Raw, where against a random mid-carder, he's going to be eye-to-eye or looking up at. I mean, yes, he is a monstrous man, you know, wide, but height-wise, it's not there. Yep. He, he is going to be better suited on SmackDown against the smaller frames where you can establish him as that beast. And then once you've got it, you know, just beat into the minds of the WWE universe that no matter what, this guy is a badass. Then he can stand up against anybody. As I've said before, you need to approach this thing. Maybe go to Paul Heyman and ask the secrets to Taz. Because when Taz left ECW and he went to WWE, he debut against Kurt Angle and he's sitting there looking up like he's staring at the, at the ceiling. But you believed in your heart, no matter the size difference, that Taz was such a badass, he was going to take care of business. You need to establish that with Lars. And do not rely on individuals thinking you know, that they already know that from NXT because it's already been proven. And sometimes that doesn't translate because it's only a small portion of your main universe that's tuning into the yellow brand. Here's what I would do with Lars Sullivan. Let's go back to Daniel Bryan here for a second. Uh, we saw at the end of that promo that he did with uh, The Miz on Miz TV, AJ Styles comes out. And Daniel Bryan takes off running. Daniel Bryan is obviously playing a chicken shit heel, uh, which Daniel Bryan doesn't necessarily need to do, which makes it even better that he's playing a chicken shit heel. What if we give him Lars Sullivan as his muscle? What if what if Lars becomes Bryan's bodyguard? He's kind of got a goat face going to him. Would, would, you know would, what? would that elevate Lars to a main event talent right out of the gate if you put him with Bryan? 
and here's what I really like about it because at first sight, one wouldn't think it would work, but the irony works with it because there, there isn't nothing really looks natural with Lars. If you know what I'm saying? Right. He doesn't look all natural. So I think, you know, the irony there would be kind of, wait a minute, Brian, you're doing all this preaching, eat clean, vegan, and you're running around with a guy that probably is a, is a poster child for calling in sick when the, you know, wellness policies being enforced. Well, he, he looks like, you know, uh, I saw a story the other day that we are, uh, we're, we're now doing genetic babies. Have you seen this story where they're going in and they can actually alter DNA and they can like select eye color and they can select height and hair color and all this other stuff. I'm pretty sure that Vince McMahon went in and when he just got to develop his own genetic baby out came Lars Sullivan. That's what I think happened. Just yeah, forgot I, the height. I, see, I could see great potential in it. And I think it would just, you know, the visuals be great. And I, you're right. It immediately makes him a main event player. He's got airtime. You don't really have to worry about him on the mic. You can play to his strengths where he's just dominating, running through individuals. He's always going to look impressive standing there next to Daniel Bryan. But now let's remember our faith in WWE creative. What they'll end up have him doing is turning into some like, like looped out hippie being. They'll, they'll take away that serious edge. You know that. Well, I, I think that the key to the angle would have to be that Brian at number one is manipulating Lars. Brian treats Lars like an idiot. And, you know, Lars kind of does the cane thing where he's just kind of the big monster for a while until finally he's had enough of Brian's shit. And he's like, you know what? I do have a brain. I can speak for myself. I'm actually a really intelligent human being. And that w whenever, you know, six, eight months down the road, whenever you decide that you want to split the two of them up. My biggest fear there would be is in that comparison you made, they would see so many similarities between Kane and Brian and Lars and Brian that they would try to work in too much comedy. And I don't think Lars can pull that off. You, you need to keep that serious. Hey, I, I just came to mind now. You want some eventual muscle for Brian? You want to start uh, the global warning group? How about a uh, Harper? Ooh, that's a good one. He's kind of got that dirty hippie thing going. He could and fit in yeah, there with Brian. He's got that look. He's got that look with Brian. He's, you kind of think that you know he's he's living off the grid, taking like care of that. himself. I mean, you kind of already got the roots with the Wyatt thing going back. And can you imagine those two out there working tag matches together? Shit, yeah, that'd be good stuff. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, the other thing that you brought up there, uh, with Lars is, is the comedy aspect. Uh, my, my biggest fear in watching these vignettes is that he's going to end up being the new Tyrus. Remember when they, when they were introducing Tyrus and they made him out, like he was going to be a complete freaking monster. And then he came out and it was the Funkadactyls. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm kind of scared of that with Lars. Just he had all signs, all signs pointing that he was going to be that hired enforcer for Albert Del Rio. And then the next thing you know, he's out there in a jumper yep. with the Funkadactyls. Yeah, I'm a little bit worried about that when it comes to Lars. Um, back to NXT. Uh, friend of the show, Punishment Martinez. We've seen Punishment finally debut. He debuted on this week's episode of NXT. And then Huckleberry, he got the real debut because he got the picture with the man with three H's, and this is what Triple H had to say. Imposing, unrelenting, focused, and ready. This is just the beginning for At Real Punishment in At WWE NXT. I expect to see big things from him. Congratulations on your debut. 
Congratulations, punishment. You got the picture. You got the picture. You can hang that motherfucker up on your wall and look at that forever. I was so happy when I saw that come out. Well, I got to think, you know, two points here. Like you said, one of our better interviews, and we've had some great ones here. And I, I was thinking back just real quick over the year. You know, we've been at this just a little over a year, but really within the last, you know, from this point last year to now is when we really started getting our interviews after we jumped on over with Tommy Media Groups and things really took off for us about trying to collect maybe a graphic of everyone that we've been able to interview to put up a, a really cool image here at the new year. But obviously, you know, punishment's going to be right there front and center. One of, one of the better interviews we had so happy to see him get his call, get the opportunity now debuting all that aside, a little selfish, selfish reason, hurry up and call him up because he is everything that Baron Corbett is not right. Right. Give us a give us a true big man that can perform, that has the persona, that can actually it not work in the authority position, but actually what Baron Corbin was intended to be. I was happy to see uh, that he was still punishment Martinez too. That 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 absolutely brought a smile to my face. Good for you, punishment. Uh, another match: Official Four take over Phoenix. Uh, Huckleberry, I wanted your opinion on this one. Uh, as speculated here on the show and over at This Is NXT, sorry that there wasn't a new episode this week, kind of dealing with some shit. Uh, Alistair Black and Tommaso Ciampa, official now for TakeOver Phoenix for the NXT Championship, the Dutch Destroyer, cashing in his rematch clause. But first, he has to go through Johnny Gargano, that vicious bastard Tommaso Ciampa has convinced these two men to fight inside of a steel cage, this match will be coming to NXT television. The first cage match in NXT TV history. And it's going to get settled. Alistair Black and Johnny Gargano. Huckleberry, are you looking forward to this one? You know what? I, I really am. Uh, especially when I started reading the newswire last night. Man, so many big things happening for NXT right now. I mean, they're really turning that corner, gearing up. For Takeover Rumble, it's going to be an amazing event. And now, you know what this really feels like? It's been so long since it feels like the true, not just a marquee, but the true main event is centered around the NXT Championship. I am looking forward to this match, and I am looking forward to what comes out of this match. So, Huggleberry, let's go ahead. Let's talk a little bit of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Been a little light on the New Japan coverage as of late, and in all reality, it's because I just haven't had time to watch all these World Tag League shows. Uh, but here are your current standings inside of World Tag League. Of course, the finals coming up on Sunday, the 9th of December. So currently, you have the Gorillas of Destiny, Evil and Sonata, Ishii and Yano, Killer Elite Squad, all at 18 points. Michael Elgin and Jeff Cobb at 16. Zack Sabre Jr., Tai Chi at 14. Juice and David Finley, the best friends, also at 14. Suzuki and Lazuka at 10. That one's a little surprising. I thought they might be a little bit higher. Makabe and Hanare at 8. Hangman and Yujiro at 8. Tenkozi at 8. Nagata and Nakanishi at 4. And big surprise, Team Young Lions pulling up the rear at zero points. Uh, by all accounts, Rick, this has been a pretty good tournament. 
as far as World Tag League goes. Of course, this year they're only doing one block, kind of like they did with the Junior uh, Tag League. Uh, and then at the end, it'll be the two teams with the best records facing off. Um, we already know that we're going to get a triple threat when it comes down to the uh, IWGP Junior Tag Team Championships. I'm kind of wondering if we might be going the same direction for the heavyweight tag titles here. I could very easily see a Gorillas of Destiny versus Evil and Sonata versus the Killer Elite Squad take place at Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, I, don't, I don't think they'll go with the two triple threats. I think they'll stay. They'll stick with the traditional format here. We're going to see only two teams come out. This isn't WWE booking where we got duplicates of gimmicks and styles running up and down a card. And I'll be quite honest, yeah, I'd be a little disappointed. You know, when it comes to something like this, I, I want a traditional. I mean, just give me the two, the two teams to go out there and throw down for this thing. Do you have a preference? Who do you want to see G.O.D. take on inside the dome? Evil and Sonata, Ishii and Yano, Killer Elite Squad. I mean, I would love to go for Ishii and Yano because anytime you get Yano across the Tongans, you know, that's always a fun show. Well, I have been. Uh, I've been following some of the highlights here. I've been trying to catch up every couple of days. As you said, this, you know, there's so much going on right now. But it's been uh, obviously you more so with your personal stuff, but just, you know, in wrestling, in our wrestling world, there's so much happening. I've been trying to catch as much as I could here. Let me ask you, now this is a long shot, but I'll be, I'm going to be rooting for him. I like to see Elgin and Cobb, you know, that story from last year where those guys couldn't get along uh, to maybe get that nod. But but in all reality, I don't think, you know, on this stage, they're ready for that. I think this has been a great showing for them. Uh, a tremendous finish, a tremendous run through this thing. I hope that they continue to use these two together. Uh, and just, I know you were telling me, that it wasn't, it's not just an act. There actually is some heat between these two. I think if they can overcome that, it's a tremendous dynamic from what they, what I've seen from them here. I really enjoy. It's a vicious team, man. I wouldn't want to face those two guys. I, and I would, and I almost like to see, I hope that this could cross over into other promotions and we see these guys. Hey, give me these guys in the impact zone. Give me a ring of honor sometime. Yeah, I, I want to see more of these guys together. Uh, as we were talking earlier in the show, you know, Killer Elite Squad. David Boy Jr. is right there. Him and him and Lance. I, I've always had a thing. I, I know they've never really clicked with you. I've always kind of dug them. I, I've been a fan of them. It's Lance Archer, man. There, there's just something about Lance Archer I just cannot get into. He seems like a, a, a poor man's James Storm to me. And, and I don't... I, Ishii and Yano, I, I don't know. I, I think that's I don't great, see them in that position. Right. That's a. It's been a great run for them. It's always fun, but you know they're they're not going to do anything. So I guess you, by kind of default in where this would play out, you got to go most likely with the two that are sitting at the top right now. It's not an evil. Well, you got to think that Evil and Sonata are going to be on the Wrestle Kingdom card somewhere, right? Where else and do they fit in if not here? And you'd want them in a prominent position, so you got them under the spotlight of a championship match. So that is my pick, but hey, you seen uh, reports coming out today that WWE is uh, is highly interested in Sonata. I can't say I blame them. I mean, we, we, you and I, we've talked forever. We see a lot of potential in Sonata. Uh, Rick, I, here's a question for you: Kind of looking at the landscape going into Wrestle Kingdom, what are the Young Bucks doing? Are the Young Bucks going to be at Wrestle Kingdom? Well, I thought you know they've. It's, it's, you can never tell which direction they're going in because they are the masters of the work. So, and they've been out there, they've been kind of teasing, you know, they're not going to make that trip this year. They're not going to fly over for it. 
it, you gotta you gotta believe though the way this is shaping up, there's not a whole lot for him this year. No, it's really kind of weird to me. Wrestle now, let Kingdom me ask without you, the box. Let me ask you a question here. Let's say they're not involved there, and obviously, you know what? I already kind of answered my question. I was going to ask you. What, what do you think would be more of a suiting time if they are going to go forward with an all-in two or maybe anything with all elite wrestling? Would you do the announcement around Wrestle Kingdom or wait till Rumble? It, but immediate, immediately in my mind, though, I started thinking you wait till Rumble because the anticipation of people paying more attention to you will you show up at Rumble if you're left off this Wrestle Kingdom card. Uh, the question is, are we going to see him at New Year's Dash? Because, you know, as, as intrigued as I am about what's going to go down at Wrestle Kingdom this year, really intrigued by what's going to go down at New Year's Dash. Because if there is going to be a split, if Kenny is going to stay in New Japan, if Kenny's not coming with the rest of them, maybe, maybe uh, Kenny gets kicked out of the Elite. That could go down. Watch. Maybe I mean, look at the history. gets kicked out. I mean, you know, the, like there, there's a lot of history with New Year's Dash and the Elite and the Bullet Club. It's going to be very interesting to see exactly what happens there. Well, Huckleberry, I guess it's time for the main event of the day. And that, of course, is our interview with the pretty badass Kelly Klein. Anything you want to say about the interview before we uh, go into it here? Well, I was going to say, I thought we were already kicking over there, but I was ready to sit back and listen to myself. I've already heard this thing twice. Believe me, you're going to be blown away by this. You know, Kelly's come on the show with us before, and you can tell how much she is in just a short time has matured as a performer. Especially, you know, I don't want to spoil anything leading in, but when she starts to talk about social media, really listen. Because uh, even after we got done with a call with her, you know, I personally thanked her. The way she presented you know, where she stands on it and what it really means in the business and really in life. Uh, it really changed how how I see the use of social media you know, for wrestlers between, you know, the difference of the personas on television and their actual beings. So it's something that I want to point out. So when you hear that subject come up, make sure that you're closely, closely listening in. But otherwise, uh, absolute uh, incredible interview. All right. Here she is. The pretty badass. Miss Kelly Klein. Rick and I will be right back to wrap things up right after this. What's up, peeps, freaks, and geeks? Welcome back inside the locker room studios for this very special edition of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, powered by TheGorillaPosition.com, presented by Hameen Media, and now in association with LastWordOnProWrestling.com. My name is Jargo. I'm here with my tag team partner, RBV, but please join us in welcoming our, to our show our guest, ladies and gentlemen. She's one-fourth of the huge women of honor, Fatal 4-Way, coming up next Friday at Ring of Honor's final battle. She's the gatekeeper, the pretty badass. We like to think the future women of honor champion. Ladies and gentlemen, making her second appearance on the show, Miss Kelly Klein. Miss Klein, welcome back to the show. Hey, thank you. You just talked really fast. Did you know that there's some money in... Uh doing like the fine print on radio ads you know if if people are are shopping i'm absolutely buying i mean i I have a friend who did it and he also got homemade muffins so i just i mean i don't know if that's standard but 
Well, you know, we, look into. we had Jay Lethal on the show, and he said that he wanted me to be his personal ring announcer. But then, you know, of course, I haven't oh, heard back I, I from him. Oh, I thought you were going to say he gave you muffins. <laughs> no muffins either. <laughs> Jay Lethal muffins. Macho muffins. I like it. Black machismo muffins. <laughs> I want 10%. As I said off the top there, Miss Klein, this is your second time on the show. We last spoke with you right before your big matchup with current and first Women of Honor champion Sumi Sakai. First and foremost, how have you been? And tell people what you've been up to uh, since you were last on the show back in March. I have been, well, I'm glad you said when I was on the show so I can figure out what I've been doing. <laughs> like, wait, when was that? What have I done? Um, yeah, I've been, I've been doing well. I've been keeping busy. I was with Ring of Honor on their United Kingdom tour, uh, which was awesome because I had never wrestled in the UK before. So I got to wrestle in England and Scotland. And then I returned to stardom uh, the end of the summer, August, uh, through beginning of October and got to travel around and wrestle in Japan again. And then in between, I've just been bopping around the U S, um, mostly with ring of honor and, you know, just trying to get in front of new people and meet, you know, all of my fans tweeting at them, answering their questions. Um, you know, that sort of thing. Training at the Ring of Honor Dojo. So, pretty busy, among other things. In wrestling all around the world in such a short period of time like that, there's such a difference between the American fans and the UK fans and the Japanese fans. Do you notice that as a performer? Like, Does it change the performance at all for you, depending on exactly where you are throughout the world? I guess in a way... Anywhere, um, anywhere you go, whether it's in a different country or even, you know, around different regions, um, in, in the same country or the same area, you're going to have some differences just because you really do feed off of the energy of the audience. And that's, that's something that I think is really fun, but it's also in a way, kind of the, the more things are different, the more they're the same, because ultimately those, those people, wherever you go, show up because they want to be entertained and they want to be more invested. They're already invested and they, they want you to give them a reason to be even more invested. And, um, you know, they, they like to interact now different places. It's kind of like they interact in a different way. So, uh, when, when we were in Scotland, for example, um, and, and I think in, in Europe and different places in Europe, fans will like have really elaborate chants and like whole songs. So it's, um, <laughs> you know, you can really kind of just take time to, to soak that in and, and that, that's, that's a little different, you know, they've got like a whole thing going <laughs> and then, um, in Japan, sometimes it's like, they're interacting and they're watching, but um, they're not always as outwardly vocal and they're not always. Um, it's a lot quieter like, audience. They're, 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 they're much yeah, more they're engaged. Not, like, but they're also not like working together with their chanting and clapping. Um, and I think in a way it's, it's maybe it's because they're not trying to like be the focus where you do get some crowds where they're almost like, 
putting on their own little show. Um, and, and, and in Japan, it's like they're just when when they feel compelled to, you know, yell for their person, they do. But it's not like we're all chanting together necessarily. Um, but they do still enjoy interacting. You know, you just have to um, be attuned to sort of the subtleties. So I'll still, you know, say stuff to people or give them a look and, you know, they'll kind of react, but maybe not as as vocally or aggressively as um, fans maybe in like the United States would. <laughs> right. Miss Klein, uh, Miss Klein, Rick Vickery here. Uh, speaking of Japan, uh, you made your way to the, the land of the rising sun back in August to compete uh, at stardom five or at the, uh, yeah, the, the stardom five star grand prix uh, for, for those not familiar with stardom. Uh, this is very much like new Japan's version of the, you know, the G1 climax. Tell us a little bit of a, about your trip over stardom. Um, so it was really neat this time just going back and feeling immediately at home because I, the first time I was there, of course, you know, I had never been to Japan and I had not met any of the people that I was, you know, there with. So it was like a lot to kind of take in and figure out and, and even just day-to-day things like going to the grocery store and, you know, things like that. Um, and traveling and, you know, using the transportation. So going back and already having that all out of the way, it was like just going back home in a lot of ways where I was like, oh, here's, here's my neighborhood. And, you know, I, I knew my train routes and knew where my grocery store was that I liked and everything. Um, and kind of, you know, already just fell right back into some of my habits and rituals and routines. And, uh, and then just, you know, getting to see, my friends again that, um, you know, friends that I had made there before. So that allowed me in some ways just to just really jump right in and, you know, go to, um, you know, get into my training at mid breath right away and, you know, go to the dojo and not feel awkward or uncomfortable or like have that kind of, um, I guess moment where you're, just sort of observing and trying to you know, figure out where you fit in or what the vibe is and, you know, how to, how to sort of fit in appropriately, I guess. So, um, I was able to just jump in and, and that was great. So we just kept very busy. And then I was there with some, some girls that I had not met before, uh, and, and, you know, became really good friends with some people and, um, got to try some new things and in the ring and in, and training and you know so it was it was really awesome there was a lot of great talent in the tournament this year, some of which our fans may be familiar with, such as Kimberly, Rachel Ellering, Nicole Savoy, Mayu Iwatani, uh, Hazuki. And, of course, there's been a huge influx of new talent into the Women of Honor division with talents like Britt Baker now doing spots with ROH, Karen Q and Madison Rain returning from the Mae Young Classic. How, how do you feel about the women's independent scene right now? And are there any up-and-coming women that you feel like our listeners may not be familiar with that you feel like we should be? paying attention to i did i mention maddie miles madison miles last time no i, I don't I, think so okay maybe we, we must just now talk about that um because she's she is um from like nova scotia canada and she turned 18 this past january she's 
I, I love her. I, I just really enjoyed working with her. Um, and I worked with her when she was 17 and she was you know, still pretty new. And so she's still fairly new, but really has, has worked very hard. And I think she's over in the UK at the moment. Um, and then Momo Watanabe is uh, one of the, the girls at Stardom. And she is absolutely phenomenal. I think she's just, she's got a huge future. And um, was one of one of my many favorite people to work with um, in stardom, but also in the world. And I just think she is somebody to watch. I hope that I get to work with her again. Uh, it was just so much fun to to get to you know kind of be in the ring with her and train with her and see how far she had come since last year when I had worked with her and everything too. Um, and then I'm still, you know, I got to get in the ring and do, um, tag matches with Rachel Ellering, but I'm still waiting on my singles match. I'd love to work with her cause she's really just burst onto the scene in the last few years and worked very hard. But the, the women's, I mean, the women's scene is, is amazing right now. And it, you know, it has been now for, for several years, it's been really moving forward and it's, there's still always you know, obstacles, you can never rest on your laurels, but, um, there's, there's progress and headway. And I think there are a lot of women that are very, um, motivated and dedicated to, um, just continuing that and moving forward. You return to, uh, ROH TV from stardom in October and then qualified for the fatal four way coming up at final battle on the November 3rd event in Pittsburgh, defeating Jenny Rose in watching this matchup. You really have seemed to have stepped up your game to a whole nother level since returning from stardom. Is this a result of the competition over there? Stuff you were learning in the dojo or just some new tricks that you've uh, picked up? And maybe it's, um, maybe it's a variety of things. I think just having that experience where you, you get to um, just train and work with a lot of different people um, just constantly. And, you know, I, I wasn't working a, um, you know, a day job. I, I was just training and working out and wrestling on events and working with new people. And that's always very invigorating, just getting the ring with new and different people in front of different audiences. Um, but I think that something that really made a huge impact on me was just, uh, developing, uh, such a strong friendship with Rachel Ellering because she and I, I think both, um, I know she does this for me and I hope I do it for her, but, um, we just, we're really able to kind of support and uplift each other. And we still keep in touch and do that and to have somebody, who um, can can be there to to just support and help motivate you and um, you know we we are there to remind each other you know how far we have come and how far you know we can still go is um, something that just gives gives me a lot of um, I guess fire and so when I came back it was kind of like you know what you just you need to go out there and just lay it all out there. I don't hold anything back. And there's, there's no reason, you know, there's more risk in holding back than there is in just leaving it all out there. And that's, 
that's what we're all here for. Um, you know, I, I'm a storyteller and I know that I've worked hard for a long time and I've gone a lot of different places. So, um, you know, not comparing myself to anyone else. I just know that I have done all of these things and I have a lot to offer. So I'm doing a disservice to myself, my opponents and the fans. If I don't go out there and just give it all. Now, Ms. Klein, uh, one of the other things that we have noticed since you returned from Japan is is the major difference in your social media. You know, rather than just being you know, pretty badass, it seems that you've been letting people uh, get to know you a little bit more and the personality behind what we see in the squared circle. Is this something that you've done consciously or in well, have you done this consciously? And, and what, what role do you think social media plays in today's wrestling? Um, I think there's a, it was a little bit... Um of a conscious choice just because I, I want people to, um, you have an opportunity to interact and I want to interact with my fans because if, you know, if they didn't exist or if they didn't care and they didn't come to events or tune in, then I, I always say, you know, without the fans, we are just, you know, fighting our friends in our underwear. It's just, you know, <laughs> nonsense. <laughs> so, um, I, I really, I like to, you know, be able to meet my fans and talk to my fans and interact with my fans and I become, you know, friends with some people and they've been, you know, really powerful motivators for me as well. But I, you know, I, I don't know why, but something just kind of made me stop and think like, I know that, you know, in the ring, it's, it's one thing, but when I'm outside of the ring, you know, I'm not, not in competition with, with everybody all the time. I mean, I, I guess I am, I am in competition. Everything can be a competition. I'm going to just <laughs> rephrase that. Um, but there's, you know, me showing other sides of myself and other facets of myself. I don't think that takes away from, the part of myself that I am bringing out when I'm in the ring. And when I started wrestling, something that was always important to me and was really always my message that I wanted to share is that people can be everything that they want to be and you don't have to be one or the other. And I, especially for um, women and particularly young women, but this goes for everybody, is that um, any trait or characteristic is not mutually ex exclusive to another. So if you're an athlete, it doesn't mean you can't be smart. And if you're smart, it doesn't mean you can't be funny. If you're funny, it doesn't mean you can't be pretty. And I think um, people can and should embrace all of those things and nurture all of those things. And um, I don't want... Um, you know, ever to, to see anyone who feels like they have to hide or um, close off a certain part of them in lieu of another. So, you know, I just thought with social media, it's such a powerful tool that I have access to. And I could have really, you know, just kind of walk the walk of that message that I wanted to share that I can be a total badass and I can be aggressive and I can be determined and I can be competitive but I can also be compassionate and I can be silly and it's, you know, there's a time and a place for everything. So, um, you know, it's, it's important if I'm going to 
try to share that message that you can be all of those things and I need to show how I'm all of those things. And it's something where I can help more people and reach more people, um, whether I know it or not, whether I know when I'm, you know, getting through to someone or not, um, if I'm showing all of these sides of me and that I'm, you know, sometimes I'm vulnerable or sometimes I'm silly or sometimes I can be, you know, have moments of, um, you know, questions or concerns, but, um, that you can take all of those things and you can still achieve your goals. Very well said. Very well said. I can tell you that, uh, you got over with my five-year-old when, uh, you were in the gym and singing, uh, Disney princess songs and, uh, singing about your shapes on your Twitter. That, that absolutely was a huge hit with uh, Little Miss Quinn. Uh, so, uh, Very well-rounded. <laughs> let's, let's go ahead and let's talk about the big event, Friday, December 14th, New York City, the Hammerstein Ballroom, live on Honor Club. It's one of the marquee events of the year, the first time that the Women of Honor Championship will de- be defended on this stage. Of course, we're talking about final battle. It'll be the first and only Women of Honor Champion, Sumi Sakai, defending the championship against Karen Q, Madison Rain, and of course yourself miss kelly klein this will be your first opportunity at the championship since the matchup with sumi what's your thought process going into final battle well i definitely have a um a point to make because first of all the fact that i haven't even gotten a singles opportunity when the way i see it i i was the that last you know person in between her and the in, in the championship and, um, you know, nobody else got closer than I did to it. So, um, for, for her to go this long without defending it in a rematch against me, I think is ridiculous. <laughs> uh, I, I know there's, oh, scheduling and traveling and, you know, I was in Japan, but I wasn't in Japan that long. So, um, well, you know, <laughs> Kelly, I, I figured out what it is here. I figured out what it is. See, mm-hmm. we, we, we had you on uh, right before your last matchup, and we have you on now <laughs> going into this matchup. The answer is if you want more title shots, you just have to come on the show more often. Is that... Is that that's what that's our, that's our story, and we're sticking to it. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'll leave that one there. Um, but I, I think it's really interesting that I never had a singles rematch with her, but I, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have this match now I, I have to stay focused because you know, I have one person, Karen Q who, um, you know, I would love to, to make her tap out, but, um, you know, my, my eye is on the prize and my focus is that end game. Um, now if I can do that by way of eliminating Karen, um, and all that score, that would be, that'd be great. But, uh, you know, it's like, it's, it's a big, big thing. And it's, it's, (laughs) do you prepare for a fatal four way differently than you do a singles match? I guess not really. Um, it's just more preparation. Um, because you, you know, in a, in a singles match, you want to be familiar with your opponent and kind of not only what they're, sort of skill set offense and their particularly um, their each of their abilities would be, but also where their head is at. So sometimes, you know, if, if somebody is kind of seems like a, 
they've got a short fuse and then you have to be aware of that and, and know that they may be more unpredictable. Um, or if somebody is kind of just, you know, methodical and business as usual, that's, you know, something you can kind of be aware of, but, um, so you have to be familiar with each of these people, but also have your head on a swivel because, you know, while I'm dealing with one person, you've got, got to have my eye and ears on two other people. And then the fact is that we all have really high stakes and, um, you know, I just kind of thinking through all these different scenarios of, um, how all of these different people affect the overall dynamic. I mean, I wouldn't put it past Karen Q to hide out and lay low until, you know, I've, I've done all the work for her and eliminated everybody else. I mean, you know, seems like her MO. (laughs) I mean, that's, I don't want to like, point fingers or name any names, but, and then you've got, uh, Sumi and Ashley, um, Madison rain or Ashley lane, who, um, she has been, been known as as well for those listening who, um, may have seen her earlier this year. Uh, you know, those, those two, I gotta, gotta keep my eye, my head, uh, upward as well. <laughs> um, you know, so it's just, there's gonna be a lot going on, so I have to really stay focused and not let it, um, you know, get get too emotional. Just because the stakes are raised, there is going to be a lot going on. Um, so I, I need to just really concentrate, stay focused, and not let emotions get the best of me. Which I, I, I think I'm normally, you know, able to keep it pretty cool and laid back. <laughs> well, Miss Kalina, final final battle. It's gonna be huge. But let's talk about another huge event that's looming in the distance. April 6, 2019, Madison Square Garden, Ring of Honor in New Japan. What would it mean to you to walk into the garden as the Women of Honor champion? About, oh, five, oh shoot, what year was it? About um, almost seven years ago now, I guess. I remember walking past Madison Square Garden and kind of thinking, man, it would be cool to wrestle in there. So at that time, I, I don't, I don't even, I don't remember if I thought that was even a possibility. But I just, I remember every time I walked past it, I just kind of walked a little slower and looked at it, and um, it just seemed like a pipe dream at the time. Just so many things would have to fall into place and so many things would have to align to have that type of of an opportunity. Uh, so when, when that news broke, it was, you know, pretty incredible and surreal and it it was, it would be just so, um, exciting to add another historic venue to the list of, of places that I've gotten to perform. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us today. Why don't you tell the people where to find you on social media, your pro wrestling tea store, and anything else that you would like to plug? Okay, so I made social media really easy. You can go to Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, type in Real Kelly Klein, and you will find me. The same for all of them. <laughs> and pro wrestling teas, type in Kelly Klein. And um, I have some some things up my sleeve. I have actually recorded my first reciprocal interview. So stay tuned for that. 
I also have some exciting and really, I think, fun and unique t-shirt designs uh, that'll be coming out on my Pro Wrestling Tee store. I also just did a photo shoot, so some new, never-before-seen prints, 8x10s, and um, even posters will be available soon. Um, So I've just got, like, all kinds of stuff going on, so everybody needs to stay tuned, be ready, because there's, like, a lot coming at you. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us, and best of luck at Final Battle. Thank you so much. Line, 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 triangle, 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 square, 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 circle, 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 oval, oval. These are my shapes, these are my shapes. There you go, Huckleberry. She taught you your shapes. Now you know what all the shapes are. Don't you feel better? I was gonna I was gonna say for some people that might have been listening and they're kind of like, where are we where did that come from here? <laughs> you are you are you are missing out on the hottest trend to hit Twitter. And that is Miss Kelly Klein. She she brought this out last week sometime, correct? Yeah, I believe it was. The the hits that it has gotten, the attention that it has gotten. Uh, simply incredible. It just showed you how diverse she is as an individual, as an entertainer, as a talent. But yeah, and, and I dare individuals. You're, you're going to be going around all weekend singing that song. I I dare you to tell me on Monday that you that you didn't even think twice about it. It's going to be in your head all weekend long. Fantastic stuff. Speaking of Monday, Monday we are going to replay. The Kelly Klein interview that will be included inside of the Monday locker room as well, because it is final battle week. Our friends over at ring of honor wrestling, they hooked us up as well. We will be joined by the voice of ring of honor professional wrestling. Ian Riccoboni had a chance to sit down and talk with Ian a little bit earlier today. Fantastic interview. Really enjoyed talking with him. Can't wait for everybody to hear that interview. Rick, is there Anything else from the world of professional wrestling that you wanted to talk about this week? I would say, I think we covered everything up to this point, but as you, you kind of put over there, I, I'm I'm looking forward to next week. It's going to be huge for us here at the Hitting Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast. Huge for us in the locker room with the Hami Media Group. We've got so much going on. We're gearing up for final battle. We've got these big interviews from Ring of Honor. We've already shared a big interview with, with Casey Lennox. We're going to be doing, we're going to be next week right here in the Hitting Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast. We're going to be doing a full breakdown, a preview leading into Final Battle. And then I guess a little spoiler following Friday night, following Final Battle, we're planning on hitting the Twitch. Hitting the Twitch. What is it? Twitch.tv backslash hitting the marks. There we're going to be over there live. We're going to be over there live talking about all the big action. Hey, that's going to be a hot event, a lot of fun. I mean, we got big questions. Who's staying? Who's leaving? Who are going to be the champs? I mean, this is really going to lay out the blueprint for Ring of Honor heading in not to not just 2019, but that big show they're having at MSG come WrestleMania weekend. 
Looking forward to everything that Ring of Honor Wrestling has coming up. So that's going to wrap things up for this week's show. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't yet, please hit that subscribe button. Then head over to the Roar Network at thegorillaposition.com. Check out all of the daily audio content coming out of the Roar Network. Find us Mondays in the locker room at hackerhameen.podbean.com. As well, drop them a subscribe because, you know, Again, if you need more daily content, Hameen Media has you covered. Then visit our friends over at Last Word on ProWrestling.com. Jamie and his staff have you covered with all the news that is news from across the professional wrestling world. You can find Huckleberry and I Tuesday at Twitch.tv backslash hitting the marks for an all-new episode of HTM Sports. We're going to be talking some LeBron James this week. Oh, yeah. Lakers, they're coming up. They're coming up hard. Number two. Two in the West, Huckleberry. Oh, yeah. Quarter of the way into the season. We're going to get you your big breakdowns. All the news from the NFL. Heisman Trophy. Jesus Christ. We All we do is just put out content every day. That's all we're doing is recording. You can find the show on Twitter at HTMPWPod, on Facebook at Hitting the Marks. Email us at HittingTheMarks at gmail.com. One more time, twitch.tv backslash hitting the marks you can find me across all social media platforms at not jargo rbv where does the women's revolution find you as always you can catch me across all social media platforms at the real rbv and hey billy ray valentine just a reminder next time you want to step up to the hitting marks pro wrestling podcast just remember you never bring a knife to a gunfight learn what's going on outside the world of wwe that's it for this week's show. We'll talk to you Monday in the locker room. For now, we're off like a prom dress. See ya! Watch your fingers. Label me. I don't give up. You bad guy.
your bitch and I lied. She was at home with me last night. I'll be your bad guy. You lie!